Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hey, it's Matt from the Direct-to-Video Connoisseur here. Thanks again for listening to the DTVC podcast. Before we jump in, I wanted to quickly let you know that my new novel, A Girl and a Gun, is available on Amazon now, both on Kindle and paperback. It follows Justin, a successful writer whose past as a scriptwriter for a fetish porn site comes back to haunt him and threatens to derail his career. As he's picking up the pieces, he gets an opportunity to make a movie called A Girl and a Gun with a rom-com star. Justin may have bitten off more than he can chew, though, because she's notoriously difficult to work with. If you're interested, you can find the link on our webpage, along with the link to my first novel, Chad and Accounting. If you have any questions, please reach out, and I thank you for the support. Now, on to the podcast. guest we have uh jacob gustafson um author of awful awesome action volume one and then of course uh his newest book uh, awful awesome horror volume two just came out recently as, as, as we're doing this recording uh, welcome back jacob thank you thank you for having me yes um i i was finally able to get uh horror volume two off the ground and i'm 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 actually in the process of uh, uh Amazon just recently allowed us publishers to create hardback editions. So I believe Horror Volume 2 has a hardback edition already ready. And then I think I've got I got to do some fixes to to two of the other ones. So pretty soon um, I will have all four of my books in uh in hardback as well just for fun just because i thought well gee that's neat why not <laughs> why not do it yeah that's awesome yeah i saw that was a, an option because you know i've got two the, the two self-published novels that i have and uh i was like man I sh- maybe i should do it but uh I, I haven't gotten around to, to to formatting them yet for that so, so i'm still in the, the paperback stage but it is kind of cool to have like a hardcover copy of the book yeah for sure uh i just uh, i just was sort of um tickled by the the novelty of doing it. Um, and you know, for, for anybody who wants to have, uh, uh, what I presume, uh, of being a more uh, hardy edition, like it'll hopefully take more, more abuse than the, than the paperbacks do. So. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, one thing that's great about, um, you know, I think for, for anybody who's listening who doesn't have have your books, um, they're great guides. I think, for example, Awful Awesome Action um, is a really great one because you, you get into kind of the, 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 the nether reaches of the, of the action genre where we are, where, I mean, you, you know, you go into those IMDb pages and maybe they've got a few critic reviews. Um, and so I, I think it's a really great resource in that sense that you can, people just kind of dig in and just, you know, man, what do I want to watch that? Now, I think the other thing that's been great too, is it seems like more of the ones that you covered in, in volume one that weren't available on anything um, or, you know, Use VHS maybe is the best way you could get them if if you could get them that way. Now it seems like Tubi's picking up more. Of yes, them. yes. Yeah. I, I was just gonna say my my awful awesome guides are are essentially uh, they've become a, a guide to what to watch and what not to watch on Tubi. Yeah, which is amazing because I mean I think like like the film we're gonna be talking about here in a minute here, uh, 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 um, Young Rebels by uh, Amir Shirvan. I, for the longest time, you were you couldn't get any of his stuff, and then Samurai Cop was starting to kind of inch out there as like a a DVD. I think you know Cinema Epic put it out, and it had that cult status, and so you could at least get that one. But the other ones, it was like if you weren't finding a VHS copy, then you're you're out of luck. Right, and and I think I could be misspeaking, but I'm pretty sure one of his films, Gypsy was never it was at least I don't think it was ever released in the United States it may have been released in in a, in a foreign market but I don't think that one was ever released uh, cinema epoch they they bought all of the Shervan films uh, when they picked up Samurai cop they picked up all of them and so all of a sudden uh, here were these other films that no one had gotten to see that were very very hard to find uh, like I said in particular, uh, Killing American Style and Gypsy and Young Rebels. I mean, Young Rebels was also another one that may have had uh, a VHS release in the United States, but I don't think it was ever put out on DVD. Samurai Cop was. Samurai Cop was released by, I want to say it was Media Blasters. They put it out on DVD and it had a Joe Bob Briggs commentary wow. on it. Um, so that one actually did at least make the jump, but the other ones were super obscure, uh, very very hard to get. Uh, Hollywood Cop had a had a really low quality DVD release, um, but the other ones were uh, were more or less lost and had never been seen. So it's uh, kudos to to Cinema Epoch for not only picking them all up but actually restoring them. I mean, uh, Young Rebels, which we're, we're going to talk about on. Um, on Tubi looks absolutely killer. It looks so good. Yeah, yeah. So that's a good point. I didn't realize that, but that's a good point about Samurai Cop that I didn't see the cinema epic version. I saw the that the Media Blaster one because I remember the Joe Bob Briggs commentary where he referred to the bacon grease scene. I think he called it bacon grease foo, or you know how he says it, yeah. different foos at the end. Um, yeah, and so so I did yeah because I remember when when Cinema Epoch was um when they were they did like kind of a midnight screening series throughout the US when they uh, got the rights to it. And they had put out a film called Nipples and Palm Trees uh, that uh, an indie director had made. It was a kind of about this guy from the East Coast who's sort of, you know, sort of the, the crazy happenings when he moves out to LA and all the, you know, the women he, he encounters. And I thought it was a really good movie when I reviewed it for the site because, you know, they, the, the director had asked if I could. And I was talking about how much I liked it. And I kind of liked the juxtaposition of the East Coast and West Coast that they had in there and all of that. And um, he was like, oh, hey, you know, 
because I mentioned the review that I was in the Boston area. He's like, hey, you know, they're going to be showing Samurai Cop in a theater there, in a midnight showing. You should go check it out. But of course, where I was living, I didn't have a car and I couldn't, you know, the the trains in, in, in Boston don't run that late. Um, so I would have had to get a hotel and I just, you know, the, the, the price of all of it. I right. That's a little ridiculous, right? Yeah. So, so I ended up having to, to I couldn't do it, but it would have been a lot of fun to kind of see that in a midnight uh, theater showing kind of thing. But, but that was, I guess, when Cinema Epoch, when they got a hold of Samurai Cop and like you said, when they, they started releasing the other one. So this would have been, boy, I guess like the early 2010s. Um, and then, yeah, they guess they, they kind of started working from there, but I, it's been fantastic to be able to go on Tubi and, and see all of these. Right, and and it was uh, the guy who runs Cinema Epoch, uh, Gregory... Hatanaka? Yeah, Hatanaka. He also directed, crowd crowdfunded and, and directed uh, Samurai Cop 2. Yeah. Um, because, you know, they, they had the rights to it, and, and I did get to go to a, a special screening of that with the cast and crew... Um, there which was quite a bit of fun a friend of mine is actually in samurai cop 2 and and that's kind of like in an odd way how we met but um anyway um and, and that was that was a total trip to get to see all these uh very interesting stars uh all in one place and um uh let me tell you the not that we're talking about samurai cop but the two main stars of samurai cop the two cops they are both ridiculously tall. <laughs> yeah, it seems like it. Like really, like they're huge. Like yeah. both of them, both of them. There's there's pictures of me. I'm I'm six one, and they tower over me. Both of them. I look like a t- I look like a tiny a doll person compared to both of them. They're they're both like well over probably over six five. I mean they're like they're ridiculously tall. Wow. Yeah, and Robert Zadar was 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 tall like that too. Wasn't yeah. He? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was uh, and he was supposed to be in Samurai Cop 2, but unfortunately he passed away before uh, before they they started filming. But my friend um, was in contact with him quite a bit uh, during Um, uh, pre-production. The the director basically said, hey, can you can you deal with uh, Robert? Um, he has questions and we're kind of busy. So would you be willing to talk to him? And he said, sure. And so he gave Robert Zadar uh, his phone number and Zadar called him like a lot and just, just talked to him about all kinds of stuff. But he didn't know who Robert Zadar was. Yeah. Um, he, he, uh, he, <laughs> he, he needed me to introduce. So I was like, no, you don't understand. I was like, oh my gosh, you've been talking to Robert Zadar. That's amazing. And he said, yeah. Yeah, he calls me at odd hours, and I think he was living out in Iowa, and uh, was calling calling my my buddy up uh, during all sorts of strange hours with questions and ideas, and so that he was a really lovely guy. Yeah, it it definitely seems like it for sure. And I mean, Hatanaka seems great too. I mean, I, I've done some cinema uh, epoch films for the site that are kind of just you know sort of um, you know they'll send me emails. They're they're you know the distribution company will send emails from time to time saying, hey, this is what new films we've got coming out, you know, and of course, because all of their stuff's on Tubi, they don't need to do screeners. They just say, you know, here are the titles. If you want to review some, you know, we'd, mm-hmm. we'd be appreciative. And I know that like Shane Ryan Reed does a lot of stuff with them. And so, yeah, uh, that's, that's, that's my friend. He's, oh, that's your, uh, oh, nice. yeah, yeah. I hang out with him regularly. Yeah. Oh, he's great. Yeah. I, so the, some of the stuff that he's been doing with cinema epoch, um, if you, if you ever get to tell, tell him that I, I really like, uh, the, the stuff that he's been doing with them. Um, yeah, he's, 
he's working with them a lot over the last six to eight months that he's been just they've been making a lot of films and he's been helping out either as an actor or a producer or whatever like he's he's uh, he's also a director he's made a bunch of films himself as well um but uh yeah they're they're cranking out content for tubi right now yeah yeah it, it's really great stuff i'm 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 kind of like because I, I a lot of times i'll fit theirs and I, I tend to do like a an independent film like one indie film a month kind of or or two a month and i kind of put them on my tuesday uh blocks when i'm not having a um a, a podcast uploaded um so yeah right now i've got a couple others like i've got um nemesis um uh, from Shogun Films, and then another one, um, When Darkness Falls, I just uh, recorded a, a podcast with uh, the screenwriter for that, Tom Joliffe. Um, and so, so like, probably the next one will probably be another Cinema Epoch one uh, that, you know, and yeah, I just, I I, I think the thing with, with, with his work, with the stuff that he directs, some of it's, like, more on the extreme side, which I'm not, you know, I don't begrudge him um, for that. I think, you know, if you, you know, you're making a movie, you know, make make the kind of movie that you really feel like you want to make. But sometimes for me, I'm like, I don't know if I have the stomach to watch uh, some of those ones that he's he's put out. But so like being able to appreciate him in this uh, in these uh, these cinema epoch films has been kind of nice so to be able to be like, yeah, you know what? I can um, you know, still kind of appreciate his work that way. Well, the funny thing is, is, is he's you would never know that those are the types of films that he directs. Right. Um, he's, he's a, he's a, he's a great guy. He's, he's a lot of fun to talk to, has a lot of great stories and he's a, he's a true, um, truly passionate about cinema. I mean, he's always buying, uh, criterion movies and he's, he's very passionate about cinema. So it's, yeah, it's interesting that his career has been of, of directing so many, um, very transgressive films because he himself is not he's not a transgressive person you know like he's 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 fun like you would think that he'd be some uh misanthropic jerk or something and that's not him at all he's he's a great guy yeah i mean the, definitely that 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 fun aspect does seem to, to come through in these, these films that he's doing like with, with gregory hatanaka um where it, he's just like th- there's one there's one that I reviewed that he did um, called Choke where his, yeah I've seen that one yeah yeah I mean his manic energy I think you know for me the the one thing that I, the issue with the movie I had was it it, it kind of had that same kind of trope of the older guy with the younger woman kind mm-hmm. of thing that sometimes it's just hard to kind of you know when you're you're um, to kind of get away from that but by the same token it was just like uh, like his manic energy as the as the killer in that film. Um, it definitely, I could see how he would be someone who, who could have fun. Cause I mean, he just, like, I, I, I think I said when I reviewed it, that he would be a perfect Joker. You know, if you were doing a Batman movie, like he, he could really, really bring it as a Joker. And a lot of times I think the best baddies are people who are not any, anything like that in real life. Have you ever, have you ever done a podcast with him? No, no, no. Oh, you should, you should, yeah. you should, you should hit him up and, uh, try to get him on. He's, he's super, pa- like I said, he's very passionate, very, uh, articulate about film, um, and, and a really pleasant guy. Like he's, he's not <laughs> whatever, whatever assumptions you might bring to the table based on his, on his filmography, uh, they won't hold true. Um, yeah. he's, he's a good guy. 
Yeah, I, I can imagine. I can imagine. Like, like I said, I, I, this kind of thing kind of happens sometimes with, with you know, screeners or with movies where it's like um, there's there's another director. His name's um, James Cullen Bressack, who has done like now he's been he's done like some Seagal movies. He does a um, Bruce Willis movie. But when he was starting out, he did a movie called Hate Crime. Um, it was about like these neo-Nazis who invade uh, a Jewish family's house. And it's like really, really disturbing. And he, you know, made the film as as a, as a Jewish person himself. He kind of that's he was kind of making it as a sort of reaction to anti semitism that he's encountered. So I get why he made the movie, um, but for me it was just like it was just too extreme for me to to cover it. Even when he was sending emails, you know, asking different uh, people to, to to review it. So then when he did like a Seagal movie, I kind of really like I was like I got you know got to do that one right away to just be able to say like okay I did one of your movies you know like I kind of I kind of appreciated too that he had made it that far too that he, that he was doing Seagal movies um and I know to, like, like oh, to be ahead. able to work with Seagal and Bruce Willis you must he, he must be he must be like a saint or something you know like <laughs> because they're both notoriously difficult right. uh to work with uh oh my gosh I, I would be I feel like I would be incredibly intimidated to to work with either one of them because of how you know just how hard they're especially Seagal is supposed to be to work with yeah yeah I you know I don't know because it seemed like it was kind of like like the Seagal movie he did was called Beyond the Law it's the one with like DMX and uh not the not the old DMX one that he did you know but the, the a newer one um and then Johnny Mesner is like Johnny Messler's the guy doing the heavy lifting essentially um because you know Seagal right he doesn't really doesn't do the heavy right. lifting <laughs> no. Um, but um, also Zach Ward, um, you know, who played um, uh, Scott Farkas in um, uh, A Christmas Story. He's in the film as well. And I guess the two of them work together. He works with uh, James Cullen Bressack. So I think that was somebody he knew that, you know, he could kind of lean on as well. And I think that's something that probably people do when they work with Seagal is you get some people that you know that you can work with that – that probably know exactly what you're doing and, and it's easy to probably lean on them. But that film, it was, I mean, he did have to, I, I, part of it is him as a director. I think also the screenwriter, they had to really move things around to kind of fit the things that Seagal expects out of a movie. Right. Cause Seagal can't be beat in a fight. Um, right. But he was the baddie. Right. So, well, how does the baddie not get beat in a fight? So they had to come up with a creative way for Johnny Mesner to lose, but not lose. So that <laughs> Seagal wins, but does or loses, but doesn't, I, I don't, yeah, it's just, it was really, it was really interesting. And um, so, yeah, I, you know, the Bruce Willis film I haven't seen yet um, that he did. I think it was, it was like him and a couple other directors like did like kind of almost like a, like a, a few movies within a, 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 all in the same year. So I'm wondering, I don't even know how that would have worked. It would be interesting to kind of find out how that was, but it, it's almost like they had like maybe a stable of a few directors and they just like kind of. Had one do a movie with Bruce, then another do a movie because you know we know now with him with his um his his health issues that I think there were some producers that he was working with that were trying to get him in as many movies as possible, knowing that he'd have to stop at some point. And so right, you know they're trying to get him with the finish line. So probably I mean it's possible that seeing you know the, that them seeing um Bressac do the film with Seagal, they thought well okay he's the kind of person that could do a movie like this that we need to do to get you know willis over the finish line here on this um but um yeah it's like a there's kind of a period in like 2020 i think or 2021 where, where willis is in like three or four movies and i think like brezak might have done a couple there's another director that did a couple um but they're all kind of like in the woods um with a similar cast yeah I, there it's definitely an interesting moment in in cinema history right now when you have something like tubi that is is buying up tons and tons and tons of stuff 
uh, it's really opened the door for a lot of independent filmmakers to get their stuff out there, to get it seen. Tubi seems to be like the place. And there's probably going to be other ones. They call that um, uh, AVOD, advertising-based video on demand. And we're going to see a lot more of that, which means that I mean, my gosh, when you jump into Tubi, like there's just so much out there. It's like it, there's just like an ocean of, oh, my gosh, I don't know what's going to be worth my time, yeah. what's not going to be worth my time. Um, and and I've gotten my fingers burned a lot, um, of course, with with uh, Tubi. It's funny. Amazon was the place. And then all of a sudden now it's like, nope, Tubi's the place. That's where you go to get your to get your fix. Um, and, you know, hopefully with uh with my books it'll it'll help guide people i feel like horror volume two it, it has deeper cuts there's there's um uh, definitely more obscure films in there and the same will 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 hold true for action and sci-fi volume two they're uh they're definitely more obscure films um but at this point i mean what even is really obscure anymore right like when you can fire up Tubi and you can watch every single one of Amir Shirvan's movies, which had been previously completely unavailable and were nearly impossible to find, like, like it begs it begs the question of like what is even obscure anymore? Um, it, it's it's more like can you sift through the mountain and find the gold? Yeah, because nothing nothing's really obscure. I mean, you can you can fire up uh, you can you can do a quick search and you can find stuff on one streaming platform or another. And when we're talking about, you know, um, awful, awesome type movies, it's it's more than likely going to be going to be on Tubi. Um, and and I just I, I think that's amazing. I think I think it's great because uh, the whole reason why I wrote these books was because I felt like the films so, some of them, not all of them, most of them, not all of them. Uh, they should be seen like they should be watched. And I think that Amir Shirvan's films should be watched. They are um, ridiculous and very, very cheap, uh, but they're incredibly endearing and fun and surprising and and have kind of like a vibe unique to their own. Um, the film we're going to talk about tonight, Young Rebels, I for people who are really big fans of Samurai Cop, yes, there's more. Um, uh, you know, people end up discovering the room, and then they're like, "I want more," and it's like, yeah, "I'm sorry, that's that's kind of all there is." Um, uh, but when it comes to Shervan, we we do have a small handful of films. Uh, he was an immigrant uh, from Iran. He came to the United States and started making films at some point uh, during his life. Now, the interesting thing about Shervan is that. In Iran, he was a filmmaker as well. So he has there's like a a lot of films that are Iranian movies that no one's ever seen over here, and it, it just it, it like they go all the way back to like the 70s or something. Like he had a considerable number of films under his belt before he started making films in the United States, and it it begs the it begs to to be seen. Like I want to I want to see those those movies. Like what were those like? Right. Well, because it's it's interesting. So, so when I was in college, kind of full disclosure, I um because I, I was you know an anthropology major and I was studying the Middle East, and so I got into to Iranian cinema at that time. But the Iranian cinema that I was into was post-revolution, new wave, um, 
you know, so uh, Abbas Kiarostami, um, most of Mahmoud Baf, um, you know, uh, one of my favorites is a movie called uh, Narges um, by uh, uh, director um, uh, Bani Etemad. Um, it's like kind of a, a, an Oedipal uh, complex kind of movie. But uh, what's really interesting about it is that, you know, the director is a woman and um, she did it from the standpoint of the older woman, which you almost never see. It's usually like the young guy that's the the focal right. point of the Oedipal film. And um, and also, um, yeah, Rakshan, Rakshan um, Bani Etema is her name. Um, but also because of, you know, Iranian social uh, norms. So the, 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 the young man meets a young woman that he falls in love with. And she has to pretend to be his the, the the younger man's mother. The older woman has to pretend to be the mother to be able to meet the the bride's family. Um, so so it was that combination of seeing it from a different perspective that we usually don't see, but then also having that other element. So you know a lot of mov- great movies from this time period. It's like probably like late '80s into the '90s. Um, and I was like really a big fan. And so I hadn't heard of Amir Shervan, but the reason why I hadn't heard of him is that because he left Iran during the revolution and then comes back to the U.S. and starts making movies and of course you know i didn't you know i didn't put those two together when i saw samurai cop i'm just thinking okay samurai cops this you know ridiculous film but then when um you know i think you know reading awful lot um awful awesome and and you know between i think it was between uh, awful awesome volume one and you know ty and brett had come up in reviews they'd reviewed some of uh shervan's other films i was mm-hmm. like boy there's there's a whole other world of these films and that's when i discovered that he was from iran and had this career before but of course i never would have known that because i didn't know iranian film pre-revolution um but there's almost a sense and i don't know if it, what you think of this idea but there's almost a sense that shervan coming to america right you know he's he's based in sort of the, the, the Iranian film tradition and the cultures and norms there, um, even though that was the, the, the royalist uh, Iran under the Shah. But he comes to America, and it's almost like he looked at what was being, what was popular at that time, you know, movies like Commando, Rambo, things like that. And he just almost like, it's almost like he's holding a mirror up to us to show us what our movies are like. And it's almost like this distorted, you know, cultural lens that it comes through but uh it almost gives the movies a different feel when you're thinking of it that way as opposed to just like this idea that somehow he's he's an inept filmmaker or something like that right no it's he he was astute enough to to know exactly what audiences in the united states wanted now i don't know what the audiences wanted when he was making films in iran um but he he does nail it. He nails all the tropes. It's got all the it's got all the stuff. It's got drugs. It's got shooting. It's got nudity. It's got violence. It's got, you know, the the sleazy um, sense of humor. It, it's got all of those things. And yet there's something off about all of his films. Like it's there, but it, it's it's clear that he understood all of it. But it is cl- clearly coming from a different perspective which i love i think i think that's great i think some of the most fun films of this type are often made by by people who are immigrants who see the films who experience american culture as as um as an outsider as someone who's an immigrant and they're processing what they're seeing through their own cultural lens and it just makes it so so much more um, unique and um, unpredictable, uh, and I and I think it's that that level of unpredictability that makes a lot of the off awesome films so much fun. Um, and and Shervan definitely has that, where characters say things that, 
like even in even in like movie culture is like too far like really like like not only would would uh, americans not likely say those things in public and certainly not like uh, like in samurai cop as as being law enforcement i would hope that they would be a little bit more <laughs> circumspect in the way that they spoke to each other um uh, but that's what makes it so much fun. That's what makes it so much fun. The weird thing about Shervon's films is that if you look at his American filmography, he starts with Hollywood Cop, um, which is definitely not lacking in um, bizarre moments. Uh, a little boy befriends a vicious dog just by talking to him and then like they're best friends. And there's there's silly stuff that happens in that. There's uh, an oil wrestling uh, scene as well. But it's but it's a uh, pretty competent, but there's like this interesting sliding scale that the more films he completes in the United States, the more threadbare the films seem to become. It's almost like he came over with with like or maybe he had money yeah. and he kind of blew it on the first film. And there's like a law of diminish, diminishing returns in his film. So it's like each one seemingly has a lower budget than the last one. And so they become progressively more ludicrous as they go along. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting. That's probably a really good point. Cause I know like, um, like when I was, you know, getting into Iranian uh, cinema in the kind of a late nineties, early two thousands. And I would, I was looking for the films. It was actually somebody in LA who was bootlegging them. Um, so I'd get these bootleg VHSs, And of course, you know, this was like, Right. I think it, it was like right before 9-11. So I remember like, you know, my dorm, I would have like these boxes of like films that all had, you know, of course they're Farsi, but it's written in, in Arabic. Sure. People like uh, somebody would come in, you know, like my, I, I have different roommates. And I remember one roommate came in and, and uh, was like, uh, they, they had a girl over and she was like, what is that? You know? And like, oh yeah, he, he just watches Iranian films. And so I was like, kind of just thinking, but yeah, I mean, I, cause there, you know, there's a large Iranian community in LA. I wonder if like he, kind of moved there into that maybe as a filmmaker he had some money and maybe maybe there were some people that had money over there that were funding him initially that maybe when Hollywood cop wasn't as big as he was maybe telling them it was going to be when they agreed to invest in it they suddenly were like well I don't we're not gonna you know invest in your movies anymore Amir and uh, and he had to find funding elsewhere yeah it, it's like uh he he wouldn't quit it's like yeah. well the next one will be better all right well this one didn't turn out so well and and i can only imagine that the circumstances around working independently in the united states must must be vastly different and also perhaps the types of films are vastly different from what he was used to making as well i don't know i don't know what he made um uh in iran but here, clearly, you're talking late 80s, early 90s. Uh, the VHS boom is happening. Video stores are hungry for content. They want horror movies and they want action movies. Yeah. And so he goes the action route. And I almost feel like maybe he was just a little bit too early because the late 80s, that's the, the mid to late 80s. That's like everybody's buying up tons of like direct video, shot on video horror. But then when you look at like, I don't know, maybe 93 to like 97. It's like nothing but like garbage action movies like that was like the era like you didn't see as much of that in the late 80s. Going to video stores, I would see like a lot of crappy horror movies. But 
um, it seemed like all of a sudden the market shifted. You know, people were tired of horror or something, and then action became the thing. And I feel like maybe if he would have made his films a little bit later, like just a few years later, maybe they would have maybe he would have uh, been a little bit more financially successful. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. No, it's a really great point because, right, you, you know, at the time that he's making them, it's like the canon period where it was a lot of canon films that were in video stores at that time. You know, things like The Exterminator. Yeah. American Ninja. Um, you know, Pray for Th- Those were the kind of movies I remember being in the in the video store. And then when canon goes under in the early 90s, it's almost like that's the sound at the same time. And maybe that was part of it. Maybe when Canon goes under, the, the video stores needed more action because, like you said, there's a, there's a, a, a bigger market for it than there was. It was, like you said, horror was, horror kind of starts the whole direct to video thing in the early mid 80s and, and kind of, yeah, it kind of goes into that period. Because it's almost like, too, like there was a lot of Philippine action stuff that suddenly makes into the video stores in, the yeah. in that period. Yeah, um, for sure. You got uh, the, what is it, the New Horizons. Yeah. Uh, uh, um, yeah, those, those there were a lot of those, and then you have the PM Entertainment action movies yeah. as well, right? Like, and those didn't really get going in earnest as far as PM Entertainment didn't really become what PM Entertainment would become until like ninety two, ninety three. Right. Um, so I just I feel like uh, I think Samurai Cop was ninety one. So I just yeah. I feel like he missed the boat by just he was just maybe a little bit too early to the game maybe because there's like there's so much like dumb garbage that came out um cine xl as well right like they they were making stuff in the in the mid 90s mostly you know i i feel like that was kind of the golden era of direct-to-video action trash was really like what like 92 to 96 or 97 maybe um you know yeah because post pulp fiction it's kind of dodgy right exactly because yeah we we, when i talk with time bread it come up as we talk about like a mid 80s to mid 90s but i think you make a great point that that mid to late 80s stuff except for the canon stuff you know the other stuff really wasn't as available until you get into the early 90s and then it was just sort of like a glut of everything i mean yeah pm is a, is a great example i mean you you could you know amir i mean they were always just i mean they were kind of letting anybody direct movies um you know or kind of anybody who had the, the desire to direct movies i think i guess the one thing that you had to be amenable to is not getting paid that much um so that might have been an area where amir maybe wouldn't have wanted to team up with pm um but yeah i think you make a great point that i think you know Cable TV was 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 getting bigger, especially um the the premium channels. There's kind of more of them as we get into the '90s, and they were looking. Oh for yeah, content. yeah. So I mean, think about all those Roger Corman movies, that, yeah. the all the Don the Dragon Wilson movies yeah. that came out. Right, that was a that was like a it was definitely a '90s thing, and really like a not exactly like 93 to like a little bit later. Like that was kind of the golden era, all those blood fist movies. Right. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I feel like maybe he, he was a little bit too early because I think Hollywood cop is like 86 or something. Yeah. Like he's, he was just a, maybe a little bit too early to the game. Yeah. Um, but we do still have these five films, uh, Hollywood cop, uh, gypsy killing American style, young rebels and samurai cop. Um, and, and for my money, 
I mean, everybody talks about Samurai Cop. Everybody talks about, and rightfully so. It's a total crowd pleaser. It's it's Pantheon. It is like, it's on my Mount Rushmore. I've seen Samurai Cop. I don't even know how many times at this point, uh, because whenever I have any anybody that I know that I see socially that, that shows any interest in watching these types of films, Samurai Cop, it's either Sa- Samurai Cop or Miami Connection. Like those are the two that I'm more most likely to to trot out. Um, but for my money, I think I think the number two film from Shervan for me is Young Rebels. I think that is his second most fun film, um, especially because it it features uh, Robert Zadar who you know can't get enough of he doesn't have a beard in this one um he does have some uh some long flowing locks this one came out right before samurai cop i think i think i think right or or is killing american style no no it was young rebels well technically gypsy which we we never got but but yeah young rebels gypsy then samurai cop so um yeah because again gypsy like you said it's it's uh it's it's a harder one to find um that we don't even know if it got released here in America. So it's almost like in America, right, from American audiences, it would have been Young Rebels, then Samurai Cop. Well, and and again, Gypsy, you can see on Tubi. I've seen it. It was on Amazon briefly. It is, uh, it's okay. It's got Harold Diamond in it, who yeah. was in uh, all the Andy Sedaris, not all, but a lot of the Andy Sedaris movies. He's in it, um, which is which is fun. Um, and many of the same locations uh, that are used in Young Rebels or used in Gypsy. Um, I think I think the farm with all the horses was the exact same place as uh, uh, in Hollywood Cop. I'm guessing that might have been Shervan's place or something, or at least it was somebody that he knew. But um, you know, we we get uh, we we get Zadar, which is awesome. We get a little turn by Aldo Ray, but he's hilarious in it. Um, he's just like swearing up a storm as a surly sheriff who's just, oh, I wish he was in it more. Um, we get, uh, we, we, uh, another, another actor that's in it like really briefly, which I noticed right at the beginning of young rebels, the main star of silent night, deadly night Two. uh, the guy who says garbage day, like that guy, uh, he's in young rebels. He's at the very beginning. He's a goon who who has a shotgun. He has no lines, but it's him. I was like, oh, my gosh, it's the guy from Silent Night, Deadly Night 2. It's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, I wish I wish that he was in it more. Um, we also get uh, a whole host of amazing goons in Young Rebels. Uh, they all have a very unique fashion sense. They all look very different. <laughs> Uh, I particularly like the guy who looks like he could be like George Michael's stunt double. Yes, I was going to say that. Yeah. <laughs> he's, yeah. he's great. Uh, later in the film, we briefly get a turn by a guy who looks like he could have been a roadie for Glenn Danzig. Um, and uh, another guy looks like he's wearing pajamas. We get like bad jackets. Uh, Zadar has his shirt unbuttoned the entire movie so he can show off his physique, which I don't blame him. He looks he, he's super jacked in this movie. He looks great. Yeah. I, uh, I I also uh, really like the music in Young Rebels. Uh, and I mean that legitimately, like it sounds like the same stuff from Samurai Cop, but there's more of it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, this is like this is fun to listen to. Uh, I wish as far as I know, the soundtrack to Samurai Cop is like gone. 
um, because I believe Cinema Epoch was going to try to see if they could like put it out. Much like they did with uh, Miami Connection, how they put that out on vinyl. Like I think Cinema Epoch was interested in doing that, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that they looked into it and they they found that the there it doesn't exist anymore. The the soundtrack to Samurai Cop. So I imagine the soundtrack to this is probably also uh, similarly gone, but uh, it's fun. It's 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 uh, clearly done by the same person who did Samurai Cop. And uh, you get some nice punctuating, very dramatic, and also some uh, some some nice beats. Like I I don't know. Like I legitimately like the music in this. I don't know. Yeah, no, it, it, well, because it, what it does is it, it adds to the fun. I think that's 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 kind of the biggest thing for me is that uh, that the, this movie is. I mean, it, you know, it, it's it it's made in uh, in eighty nine. Um, it just kind of has that feel of, of the late 80s. I, I think this one, I think, you know, um, Killing American style uh, as well, but this one more so where it's like, like you said, this this gang of goons that we have, it's like they're all just sort of like, you know, yeah, name, name your, your 80s, uh, your, your 80s stereotypical location or trope or whatever, you know, hairband concert, guys waiting in line for a hairband concert, uh, the, the George Michael one, um, you know, I, I think, uh, what's what's the there's one shirt that the main character uh, John Green wears um, now I can't think of it it had like a a design on it that's just like perfect like you're going to the beach and there's a store that sells like ten shirts for a dollar kind of totally yeah. totally yeah. totally and and I have to I have to wonder like this movie's so I mean you know it's so cheap yeah. my guess is is like they're probably just wearing their own clothes <laughs> right and so like the, it was kind of like are you buff yes check the box okay um can you hold a gun yes uh can you fall on the floor and and look like you're in pain okay got it and then do you have a unique look like bring your most interesting clothing to the set and and you know what those actors brought the thunder they brought it uh the, i was having so much fun just looking at what they were everyone was wearing yeah. and i and i love the idea of zadar actually like walking around with like a shirt that has like no buttons on it and it's just like open all the way to his stomach and that yeah. that's just a shirt like he's just like it's tuesday this is what i wear on tuesday like <laughs> yeah. i love it i love yeah, it I, uh it, it's 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 fantastic because yeah, because I think he wanted to like kind of affect this like I don't know I, the, the 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 mob boss um you know he I I couldn't tell I think he was supposed to be like an Italian mob boss right because he's Vincenzo um, yes yes yeah and so I think uh, Zadar was playing his son um yeah Carlos Rivas played played uh, played the the mob boss um, who does probably, an who does a great job of yeah. yelling the entire movie <laughs> yes he he's, like, he's fun. Yeah, and so Robert Zadar, I think, wanted to play like this, like stereotypical, like mobster's son kind of character, and he was like, you know, again, I think that's kind of the thing is like when you watch it, you're just like, boy, like you know, what is Robert Zadar doing? But you you can almost kind of see like you know, especially now hearing um you know when he was talking about how he was um talking to your, uh, your friend about the um you know like oh I've got this idea for the movie, I got this idea for the film, I can see him with with Shervan saying like oh I'm gonna be a mobster son, yeah I'm gonna wear shirts that just come all the way down, I'm gonna wear cowboy boots and yeah I'll kind of act like I'm like this entitled kid you know even though he was like almost forty when he made the movie, um but he was trying to play like this entitled son who was almost like a you know prodigal son who uh is not always doing what he's supposed to as 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 the um 
the son to this major mob boss character. And and they don't look anything alike. Like they could not look <laughs> any more different. Right. Like like you just couldn't. Like yeah. I oh the only way he could look any different is if he was blonde. Like that's basically it. Like they they there's it's like really dad. All right, sure. I'll I'll believe that. All right. Okay. Um yeah, you know you 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 bring up a good point because in Samurai Cop he's supposed to be uh you know this very um stoic character and in this one he's not like he's right. supposed to be a lot more flamboyant and uh um you know more arrogant uh and and that definitely uh plays out um we get we get uh we get a sex scene with robert zadar um where the actress like is like slapping him and stuff, which is uh, weird. Uh, and then later we get an extended uh, strip tease while while he's just like he's sitting on the bed drinking out of what looks like an ice cream sundae cup. And he's it's like he's like drinking wine or something. And he's just watching this really long strip tease. Um, so that's uh, that's different. Um, <laughs> it's like, Wow. Never thought I would see those things in a movie. Um, and his reactions. And, and, and you almost wonder, too, the way he's reacting to seeing the stripper, it's like either A, he, he doesn't know how to do it in a way that's like not going to come off odd, or B, he's reacting to nothing. Right? That, that he's, they're just shooting him, and they're telling him, yeah, pretend the woman's there in front of you dancing naked. And, oh, you know what? That's a good point. That's yeah. a good point. I bet... Yeah, because you don't see them in the same frame together, except at like the very, very end when he grabs her as a hostage. You're probably right. Yeah, because he's like making like kissy faces and he's just like, ooh, oh, so good. So good. Um, love it. Uh, super awkward. Both scenes are are very, very awkward. All the locations in the movie are super dumpy. Um like really beat down and like just like old furniture that's like at least 10 years out of date at that point yeah. um if not if not more um uh, another actor in the film uh, that i wanted to mention was um uh yamashita uh tadashi yes. yamashita uh how he's in this i don't know like i don't know how they convinced him to be in this because uh, he was in the octagon i wrote it down he's been in a bunch of stuff he was in the octagon yeah. he was in um, uh, american ninja he was in gymkata yeah. um and uh he's actually uh, uh like a he actually is a karate master in uh shorenryu which is mm, that's probably like the third most popular uh worldwide of of karate like that that you're likely to find at a at a karate dojo um and he's like apparently current he's still alive he's 80 years old uh and he is currently the president of the of the shorin ryu uh, american federation um and he's he's a 10th degree 10th 10th don black belt in shorin ryu and then he's also a 10th degree in um Mariyoshi uh, Kabuto. Kabuto is uh, weapons. So karate, it doesn't use weapons, right? right? Like it's uh, karate literally means empty hand. Kara means empty, te means hand. So it literally means empty hand. Uh, and so Kabuto is the use of weapons. So he could like beat you up with anything. <laughs> um, and, and I just, I find it 
so surprising. Also, uh, fun fact, he apparently is the guy uh, who takes credit. He at least he's the guy who takes credit for teaching Bruce Lee how to use the nunchucks. Oh, OK. Yeah. So that's so that's him. He was he was the, the hero in the movie. And I mean, anytime he does do any karate in the movie, he just puts everybody else to shame. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, and, and you mentioned, you know, Cynixel earlier. Um, a couple of Cynixel movies that he was in, uh, Capital Punishment, the, um, yep. the the Gary Daniels one. And I didn't realize this, he was uncredited in Pocket Ninjas, which is quite a... Which also no kidding! Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like, I don't know who his agent was, right. that, that he's this, like, legitimate, very well-respected, incredibly talented uh, martial artist... Yeah. And then he's in Pocket Ninjas and he doesn't even get credit for being in Pocket Ninjas. Like, fire your agent, dude. Like, yeah. man, uh, what are you doing messing around with Cine XL? Uh, it's it's surprising that Gary Daniels ever did anything with Cine XL because here he is. He's doing he's doing PM Entertainment movies and then he's doing Cine XL movies. And buddy, yeah. those Cine XL movies, they're hilarious. I love them. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> But they're like way threadbare. They're way low budget. He did one. Uh, I think it's either late 90s or early 2000s called Reptilicant. Yes. And and it's really bad. And it's like, how are you just like really good friends with what's his name? David Huey. Um, they must be like buddies or something like, hey, man, can you do me a solid? Can you be in this movie? Because yeah, like Gary Daniels is better than that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think I, when I talked about Capital Punishment, I was like, it just, it, it had all these elements that didn't fit, and yet it just sort of just like, it, it I guess it, it's one of those ones that works in spite of itself, which I guess, you know, you could say about like Samurai Cop or, you know, other Shervan's films. Um, it's just, yeah, the Cynic Cell stuff is just like, it's a it's other level. And I don't know if it was because Daniels was trying to make a name for him. I mean, one of the interesting things about his PM stuff, if you you know, is that like his early stuff, a lot of times he was like second fiddle to people like Chad McQueen. And right. then, you know, he gets the three R's, you know, the, the recoil, riot and rage, which just, you know, are, are some of the best of, of, of PM. But that's like later. That's kind of like mid to later eight, uh, 90s. So he they, he kind of had to work, which, you know, again, you think is interesting. because you, you, you know, we see him. We just think like, of course, like, you know. Yeah, of course you'd want Gary Daniels as your star, not Chad McQueen. You know, he's the one who's going to do all the work. But no, and I guess that's probably where the Cynic Cell stuff came in, where he was just like, I got to work. I got to make money. And um, so, yeah. I mean, Daniels was working for a lot of different companies at that time. I just I always find it surprising. Like, okay, so Cynic Cell or Amir Shervan's films, uh, they they use the same actors, right? Like Shervan, Zadar's in a few of them. Um, he, he reuses the same actors, like they they keep popping up and presumably at some point they saw the movie that they were in. Right. Right. So like, I don't think, I don't think anybody who was in Hollywood cop made the transition to any other films. Right. But like, so you saw young rebels and then you were like, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll do samurai cop. Like, like really? Like you, you, like you saw what it was and you're like, yeah, that's cool. I'll, I'll do more of that. Like I, and, and the same thing with the Cine XL movies, like, yeah, bro, you, you, you saw pocket ninjas. What are you doing reptilicant <laughs> for? Like, you know what this is going to be, you know, that this is not 
going to be good for your career. At least with PM Entertainment, it was like, oh, that was solid. That was, yeah, yeah, I'm proud of my work in that movie. And then it just keeps getting better. Yeah. Like, you start from a pretty low point in CineXL and with Amir Shravan's movies, and they never get better. (laughs) Right. right. And yet you're like, yep, let's do another. All right, I'm game. Well, that's why I wonder with Zadar, if it, at least with him, if like Siobhan gave him a level of like creative input that he didn't get in other places. I mean, like you're know, thinking about Zadar playing a samurai in Samurai Cop, um, you know, he never would have gotten that role anywhere else. Like nobody's, you know, I mean, he's kind of always like the, the the big heavy. That's really his character. And you know, I think there's some, you know, like there's there's some PMs um, that that he did that I would say like, okay, yeah, you know, he. He, he was more than just uh, whatever, you know, the the big guy in the movie. But that kind of comes a little bit later. And and maybe that was the thing where it was like, here he is in the, in the late night or the sorry, the late 80s. And everybody's just like, oh, we got this guy with this big face and big body. We're just going to use him as the, the, the heavy. And Siobhan's like, no, no, here, you can play this character. It's got a little bit more meat to him. And he's like, OK, well, either I play this character that is just sort of like a one note. Or I get to really flex my my muscles as an actor, and I think that's kind of the big thing with all of these guys. Whether it's you know Daniels is kind of the same way. If you hear him, Atkins, you know, in, in interviews, they all want to be known as a thespian as well as an action star. Um, <laughs> and so I wonder if you know it was just the yeah. temptation there. Shervon's like, here, maybe I can't pay you a lot, Zadar, but I'm going to make you somebody different than than you're used. Right, to you're playing. you're not you're not just going to be a goon like he was. Right. In so many other films, or where you know, I've gone down the road of like I'm going to watch a bunch of Robert Zadar movies because yes. he always delivers. Always, no matter what movie he's in, he never ever phones it in. Yeah, it could be just like the most awful bargain basement shot on like. <laughs> You know, like just the worst camera ever, and it does not matter. He's going to give a hundred percent of what he has, yeah. uh, which I super respect him for. Um, and, but in in a, a fair number of his movies, he doesn't even get to say anything. Right, right, right. So like the maniac maniac cop movies, he's just a big hulking guy, and he doesn't get to say anything. Um, so I, you know, it also, I don't think he ever saw a check that he would ever turn down. Um, he, during his, during his lifetime, he was in a lot of movies. Zadar yeah. has a lot of screen credits. Yeah. Uh, he, it didn't really matter. Um, and from what I gather, there's, there's quite a few actors to this day that are precisely like that, um, that had once been popular, and lost their popularity through whatever reason. And they're just still just cranking them out. And it does not matter. Like you'd be surprised at, at, at what you can get um, certain actors for. Like, like, uh, you know, when I, when I went to the, um, the Samurai Cop two uh, showing, it was like, yeah, you know, you, it doesn't take a whole lot because they just want to work. They just, yeah. they love working. Um, uh, they just want to work. And as long as you're willing to work around their schedule or make it easy for them, uh, a lot of these people that you would never expect to be in, like, like if you had like a micro budget movie, you could probably get somebody for like a hundred bucks for a day. Yeah. Which is like insane for, for, for some of, for some of the actors that you can get for absolute dirt cheap, but it's just, they just want to work. They want to. They want to work. They want to get their name out there. They want to get their face out there, and they never know what's going to be the one that's going to help launch their career. And I think I think guys like Zadar, 
you know, I think he probably always held out hope that at some point he was going to get uh, a role that would help launch him. And clearly he enjoys himself, right? He likes to act. I mean, it's better than chopping wood or whatever else, whatever else he, he would have been doing. Like, Hey, you want to come out and like hang out on a film set and act silly and shoot guns? Like, heck yeah, I want to do that. So, you know, I think some of, some of that has to, has to be part of it. One, one thing I will say uh, comparatively to now, it must've been really, really cheap to get uh, women to bear their bodies back in 1989. Yeah. Cause you know that nobody on this movie got paid hardly anything. Yeah. And, and yet there is like a fair amount of nudity in it. Like I'm always surprised with these, super low budget junkie movies from this era how how often women are like yeah sure whatever i'll yeah no problem it's like really for this movie yeah well because yeah like you look at um you know delia shepherd is the woman who does the strip tease for um for zadar in that one scene there um she's really from from copenhagen from from denmark according because I mean, she's got a whole imdb page here uh, but you know she was she was in a, a bunch of stuff but i think that's you know um you know, once you you kind of get known for for that sort of, i mean she was in rocky five uh, apparently um you know i think sometimes there's a sense too of like okay if i do a nude scene here um because because the other thing too right that you you can say like for example with with her scene there's no stunt. There's no like body double in there. This this is her naked. And in the other scenes with the women, it's them naked. It's not a body double or somebody else. Um, uh, so it's not like they're not getting naked. But I think yeah, there's either maybe a sense of like, this is going to be the thing that's going to get me over if I if I'm in this movie and I just kind of go for it. Or yeah, maybe there's a sense of I mean, some of them might have been strippers too, where it's like, well, they're already getting you know they probably get paid better doing that than to have to be you know working on a Friday or Saturday night and dealing with all the guys there, you know, getting this movie would be kind of more fun. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's the allure of like, yeah, you know, maybe you could become an actress, uh, just be in my movie and take your clothes off. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's entirely possible. I just, I just still find it surprising in, in the, in the era, in the, in the world that we live in today where, um, most, I mean, I can't remember the last time, that I saw like any kind of major nudity in, in like a big budget movie. Like, they just like, it's just, it's not, that's not the thing. Um, but back in the day it was, especially if it was like a video store type thing, it was like, listen, this is, this is what you need to have in order for, uh, to get distribution. Yeah. Right. Which yeah. is why like a lot of like garbage horror movies that you watch, uh, will have, a kill right at the beginning of the movie and also have nudity right at the beginning of the movie. So, so that a potential buyer will, will say, all right, I saw enough. I watched five minutes. We're good. Yeah. Well, like you think like Winorski and, and Fred Olin Ray, right. That's sort of uh that's their MO. Uh, David Dakota is probably another one, right. That like when you watch one of their horror films, it's like, there's, you know, um, Melissa Moore or Brink Stevens or, you know, yep. whoever Julie K Smith um, right at the very beginning, they're nude. And then, Somebody gets killed off. It, usually it's not one of them, but it could be, right? Because it could be like, you know, Brink Stevens may have done a another movie for Fred Olin Ray on another, you know, another set or whatever. And like, hey, if you got five minutes, can you do a kill in this movie here for me? And so there you go. She's in that one, too. Um, and yeah, it's it's a good point that like 
it it's like I I was thinking like the, the most recent film I can think of that had nudity was um Wolf of Wall Street. My my wife and I just watched that one recently, and um it it you know there's there's a good amount of nudity there. But again, I don't know if there's doubling going on. Like I don't know if Margot Robbie is actually nude, or if with technology now, if you can you can you know double her or you know have somebody else you know or or right, you just but like the the interesting thing is just that they're just there's a there's like a, a I don't know there's just like a, a lack of a lack of interest or a yeah. lack of desire for that I mean frankly I wouldn't watch a movie I I think maybe back then it was kind of uh you know pre-internet it was yeah. kind of like oh hey right. but now it's like yeah, yeah who cares right <laughs> like whatever I did actually just just uh what was it yesterday I watched uh, Benedetta the the new Paul Verhoeven movie about uh, nuns and uh, an illicit affair. Lots of nudity. Yeah. Lots. Um, good old Paul Verhoeven, who's like, what, 80 something years old, is making like a high budget, classy movie that's basically nun exploitation. Like it's nuts like that that, ex- that that exists. Um <laughs> Yeah, you, you always have to love Paul Verhoeven. He is just, yeah, he's he he's it's it's, it's very interesting because you think of like the movies that he's done. I mean, RoboCop obviously is the you know Basic Instinct. Um, it's just like, um, yeah, he's he's kind of I don't know. He, he's sort of like that auteur who's like always pushing the, uh, the 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 limits in a way that is just always very fascinating with his movies. I, I think, yeah, I I haven't seen Benedetta yet. I'm probably have to check that out now. Yeah, it's on uh, it's on Hulu. It's um, you know that that era of of human history holds zero percent interest for me. Right. So for me, it's a hard sell. Uh, the yeah. only reason why I wanted to watch it was because he did it. That was it. Yeah. Like the subject matter doesn't interest me. Um, the time period doesn't interest me. But I thought, well, you know, it's Verhoeven. I'll check it out. Why not? Yeah. And uh, it's like two hours and twenty minutes. Mm-hmm. It's a it's an investment. Uh, it's on Hulu, um, but like that's that's really the only thing I can think of. That's like wow, okay, uh, okay, here we go. There's a whole whole lot of whole lot of stuff in this that um, is not in your in your normal uh, mainstream movie. Uh, then again, I suppose it isn't a mainstream uh, normal mainstream movie. It's a it's a it's all in French, and he's Dutch and. It's wild, but um, yeah, I, I, I it's funny. Uh, before, when you when you when you had contacted me and you said, you know, hey, which which Shervan do you want to watch? And I said, oh my gosh, I, w- I want to watch I want to watch Young Rebels. Yeah. Uh, but and I had seen it at least twice before, and I thought, you know, I remember I really liked it, but I don't remember much about it. And now I know why. Mm-hmm. The movie has almost no story. Yeah. There's like no story. It's all action. It's right. just there they are, bingy bang 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 bang. Oh, we got away. Now here we are over here. And like, it's just nothing but a bunch of shootouts and fist fights and then more shootouts. And like, that's the whole movie. Like there's almost no story. It's just like, I literally watched it a few hours ago and I'm having a hard time remembering the exact story. I just remember like things about it that I thought were, um, endearing or fun like like the fact that at the end of the movie 
the, the big showdown, there's like all these glamour photos <laughs> on the wall of what look like they could be like adult actresses or yes. maybe strippers. And it's like, sorry, what? Like, yeah, it was it, somebody's game room. It was like somebody's like bar or like somebody's like, I, I guess nowadays we'd call it a man cave, but it was like somebody's like, you know, guy, play, you know, like there was a bar there and, and there was like and a, a jacuzzi paper. in the yeah. middle right. of the that's room, that's a good point. which was weird too. It's like, oh, huh, there's a bar. There's like, <laughs> like, like eight by tens by either adult actresses or strippers on the wall that are framed, yeah. um, which is funny. It's like, I, yeah, framed and autographed. Yeah, this is going in a frame. I'm going to drive down to Kmart and I'm going to get I'm going to get some frames for this stuff. Like, this is important. This is important stuff. It's like, whose house was this? Because there's no way that that's like, oh, well, we'll, we'll hang this up for set, set decoration. There is no set decoration. Like they, they literally walked into somebody's house and filmed. Yeah. Like, as is. I want to know why those photos are there. Also, the uh, the. Uh, Vincenzo's uh, office, which I have to wonder if that was like Shervan's office, Maybe. because there's like a there's like a glossy eight by ten photo on the wall of an actor from uh, one of his from Samurai Cop, like on the wall. He was like the, the when when the Samurai Cop goes to the to the film editing lab. That guy, like he's up there on the. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's the that's the editor who's in Samurai Cop for like two minutes. <laughs> Like his like glossy is like hung up on the wall. Like it's it's stuff like that. Or the sign that says free puppies. Yes, that was the best one. It's like, just like, all right. That's weird. Um sure. Yeah. And and just like all the dumpy cars, uh Vincenzo oh no, it's the it's the sheriff. He like drives like this like little four-door white car that just looks awful. Um it's uh, it's just there's there's so much to look at and seeing it in HD. Uh, I have a I in my garage I have a 120 inch projector screen, oh, so nice. that's how that's how I got to watch it. So I can I can see all these like weird things in the background that I'm sure when you rented it on VHS in 1989, like you would never ever see. Yeah. Also the fact that almost every single one of the shots, like the color timing is incorrect. Um, like all, like all the stuff outside either looks blue or orange because it's, it's either they're using, they're using, I think the way that they shot these, um, back in the day, you, if you're an independent filmmaker and you really wanted to like cheap out on your film that you were shooting on, you could get, uh, the, the ends, you would go to like a lab and there would be, unexposed ends to film. So let's say you shot somebody shot on a reel of film uh, and they didn't use the last 10 feet of the film, but they needed to get the rest of it processed. They would cut off that unprocessed, that un unshot film and then sell those ends to people who needed to make a movie on a budget. And so like Samurai Cop, I've noticed as well, shot to shot is like dramatically different. It looks like different stock um, and it's different colors. And every all of your film stock uh, comes with a certain color temperature. Um, it'll be ready for, to shoot outside. So it'll be uh, 5600 or indoors. So it'll be 3200. And then there's all these permutation permutations and variations on those. Um, and in order to shoot 
you can use that film and you can shoot anywhere you want to, but you have to have the right filter over the lens so that uh, it it essentially exposes the film correctly for the light that you're in. They didn't do that at all. So there's like there's like shots that are blue, shots that are orange. Um, I also noticed at the end of the film, the the fight that's in the man cave, there'll be a shot where the characters, you can see there's wood paneling behind them. They're in yes. the room where there's wood paneling. And then it cuts to a shot where the walls are white. And then it cuts to a shot with wood paneling and then white. And then cut like it's like back and forth and back and forth, almost like it's intentional. But I think maybe I, they're clearly shot in two different locations. Yeah. So it's like Shervon went and shot it and then was like, crap, this isn't edit together at all. I have to shoot a bunch of random shots so that this other footage will actually cut together. Yeah, yeah, it's it's amazing when you talk about the film part because by like first introduction to the I, cause, you know because I I don't really have any kind of background in, in in cinema at all, but I remember a Criterion collection of a Yasujiro Ozu film where um, they were talking to him about him finally making movies in color, and he was debating between I think like the Kodak. Um, which had like a certain red to it, or I don't know if it's Fuji or another film company, like the red was a little bit different and he was debating which one, cause he didn't really like the red for either of them, but he was going to try to settle. So like, that's my understanding of it is from the Ozu, like, you know, this like, <laughs> like this yeah. level. And here we are here. Like I didn't, you know, the, the idea of the ends, like I can't, I didn't even think of that as, as something, cause you're right. Like the color, I mean, the, it, 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 one of the things that I think about the time period this is made is, you know, the late 80s is when things were so colorful. Um, I think there's one room, I think the room where where uh, Zadar first uh, has sex with his girlfriend, there's like a pink carpet with like this like bluish like bedspread on, on the bed in the <laughs> middle there. And it's like, yeah, with all of these really beautiful, these big colors, and of course, L.A. is, you know, very colorful anyway. Like with the film, like you really notice it really stands out. Yeah. And then another thing about this particular film, and I, you know, I've seen Samurai Cop an awful lot of times <laughs> and I don't remember it being the case. But certainly in this in this film, there's a lot of scenes like the whole opening is uh, it's all dubbed. Right. Um, oh, because yes. because they weren't they weren't shooting with sound. They weren't shooting with synchronous sound. And that that's actually a. Uh, a technique that the Italians used forever yeah. to so they could shoot faster. And so it's like, man, that's wild. Like he he shot. So there's there's a lot of sections in the movie where people like their lips aren't matching what they're saying at all. Like that. I know in particular the beginning scene with the beginning deal and then later uh, the scene where um, uh, the it, it's like at the waterfront and they're getting like Mexican food and there's like the band that's playing and stuff like none of that is with synchronous sound. Like all of it's dubbed and dubbed badly. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 interesting because like, you know, um, some some elements of this movie, I kind of was thinking with Godfrey Ho, like, you know, Godfrey Ho, when he does the ninja movies where he's got like a, a Garfield film because he hears that Americans like Garfield, you know, it's almost like Shervon's like, OK, Americans like naked women in gunshots. So I'm going to put as much of that in our movie. Um, but also, yeah, the dubbing piece of it as well, where it's like, uh, yeah, I, I, I I, I did catch like the very the very first one. It's like very very obvious because it's like it's it's not um, the whatever he's saying does not match. Uh, no, his lips there. And then it kind of like you said it kind of goes in and out where there's a, there's scenes where it is um, 
or is the actual audio? So yeah, I wonder if there was just there are certain elements. I mean, I mean, you never know too, right? That like maybe when he was filming that scene, if maybe somebody was doing construction outside, and he's like, well, we can't use this or something, and we've got to just dub it over. Totally. Or yeah. or maybe his sound guy never showed up, and he was like, <laughs> whatever. All my actors are here. I'm ready with the camera. Let's go. Like, I just I love this idea of him. Filmmaking is incredibly hard. Yeah. It's it's exhausting. There's a million things to think of. Uh, there's so many things that can go wrong. It is unbelievably hard to do. And the fact that he did it so many times on what was clearly like very little budget is so remarkable. And and I I'm just I'm I have a ton of respect for him. And I especially love the let's just do it yeah. attitude that seems to permeate all of his films. Like you know what. I don't care. Let's just do it. Like, let's just get the shot. We got to get the shot. It's not perfect. Uh, we don't have audio or yes, there's construction going on. Who cares? We're, we're not rescheduling. There's no way around it. There's the only way is to go through like that's it. Like, I love that. Never say die attitude that seems to ha happen in his movies. Um, there's a scene in, in the film where uh, our, our hero and, um, uh, the the uh, what's his name uh, uh, Joselito uh, uh, Recobar yes. uh, or however you pronounce his name they both yes. they both jump into like that stream and yes. and they're going down the stream and I just felt like I, I was a little scared right. uh, like 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 what if they drown right. You know what I mean? Like, like yeah. I doubt there's anybody like hanging around with like a rope and right. like a, and like a, like a buoy or like, it, it, like it just felt like, all right, guys go jump in the, go jump in the river. Like, uh, really? <laughs> yeah. Just go jump in it. Well, what happens if something goes wrong? Don't drown. That's what's going to happen is that you're not going to drown. Like right. the, the same thing in Samurai Cop when uh, there's a character that does a, there's an actor that is a full body burn in that and they actually have the two main characters put him out yeah they don't know how to put him out right right like they're not part of his stunt crew there is no <laughs> stunt crew and it's like you really are going to trust these guys who don't know what yeah. they're doing to put you out when you have like where there's a very fine line between this was a safe successful stunt and i got horribly burned right it's like a matter of seconds like yeah. Anytime there's any kind of stunts in these types of movies, I always think it's something as simple as jump in the river and like go down the river. That's still a stunt that could go really badly and you could die. Yeah. I always think like either the the guts of the actors or just the lack of awareness, because it's like, dude, I, you're not setting me on fire in an, in an Amir Shervan movie. <laughs> yeah. It's not happening. I'm not doing it. I'm not. Or like, or falling out of a moving car. I'm not doing that. I'm not. I'm not going to do it at all. You're not putting a blood pack on me. You're not exploding anything near me. Like, no one's going to point a gun at me unless you can prove to me that it's empty. Like, yes. there's just so many things that just seem like... <sighs> They're not they're not big stunts, right? Like we've seen full body burns, anybody jumping into a stream, like whatever. But in the context of these movies where I feel like, is it really just like Amir Shravan operating the camera yeah. and there's just nobody else? It's just these three guys, the two in the water and the guy with the camera. And that's it. That's yeah. what I picture. And it could go wrong at any moment. Like, <laughs> like 
just the wildness of these movies, the unpredictability, the like, nah, sure, it'll be fine. Let's go do it. Like, no, it could go really badly wrong, dude. Yeah. Well, it's like, uh, uh, not the, the, the last time you were on, but the time before that, when we were talking about Man Killers, um, you know, an IP production. And I think we were talking about the same thing when there was like, you know, these shootouts that were happening in the woods. And you're just seeing all these explosions going off everywhere. And yeah. Like, you know, it's like, did, did Ted... Pa- Prior and, and William Zip just rigged this together, and it's like, or you know, or who, whoever, you know, it's like, and, and it's almost too like I think one of the things we talk about with modern movies, people will complain about there they're not being enough practical effects and there's too much CGI, which I get, but I also am willing to say like, okay, you know what? If you guys don't have the the budget to get the real stunt guys in here, just use the fake uh, the fake bullets, use the fake blood squibs. So the fake blood squibs never seem to work, but but you know, just use them because. I'd rather know that everybody made it through this film safely than uh, than, than have it look more real for me, um, if that's what it takes. Man, there is there is such a such a narrow margin for error, and I feel like if nobody got injured on any of these Amir Shervan movies, it's just like dumb luck. Right. You know what I mean? Which isn't to say that they have like crazy stunts. It's not like they're PM Entertainment movies where like people are falling out of 10 story buildings and stuff. But the PM movies feel safe. It feels like, no, that's a real stunt person. Like all of the money went to the stunts. Like like that. That's where the money went to was to all these explosions. And I never feel like in a PM movie, like anybody's being unsafe. It, It feels more like they're just trying to make like a, like a real, like a, like something to add to their stunt show reel. But when we're talking about like the Cine XL movies and these Amir Shervan movies, it's like, buddy, (laughs) like, uh, do you really feel safe in, in that situation? Do you really, do you really? Cause I don't like, don't tell me nobody got punched in any of those fight scenes. Like somebody probably really got hit. Yeah. Um, so someone walked away with a black eye or something because it's just, whew, it's just, it just seems so perilous. Uh, like <laughs> something as simple as jumping into a stream, it was like, oh, like they re- they're really moving down that stream. Like that stream is really taking them. Uh, can they actually swim? Well, not only that, right, but they're also fully clothed. Um, I mean, yes, I guess, um, you know, uh, the, the main character, he was in sneakers. So that's not I think maybe they were both in sneakers. So maybe that's not so bad as like, you know, being in cowboy boots. They could be filling up with water um, as you're trying to, to swim. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it it was hard to tell, too, because I think initially that because that, that the water they were in initially wasn't that that deep because. No, no. In fact, yeah. when when the main character like jumped in, I was like, yeah. buddy, I bet you he hit the bottom. <laughs> he like, belly it, flopped. Like, <laughs> like, like it, it, it did not. But then later, the next shot, they're actually going down the stream. And it's like, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, sure. Maybe it's not that deep and maybe they could just stand up. I don't know. But to me, I was just seeing like <laughs> yeah. drowning. Um yeah. Yeah, because it is. I mean, people don't realize because, like, you know, how often does anybody ever get into the water fully clothed? Right. Like you're usually in like swim trunks, bare feet, maybe a shirt, maybe not. But let me tell you, how often does somebody in California get into a stream or a river? We don't have that right. many. Right. We certainly don't have that many that you can actually get into and swim in. Right. Uh, we we have like ridiculous droughts. We don't have and all of our rivers are dammed up. Yeah. Like there aren't that many spots to swim like that. So it's like, 
sure, I can swim in a pool. Well, that's right. different than swimming in a river. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you, you know, you, you're right. Cause I mean, I mean, do you hear about like, I know like, um, you know, sword and sorcerer, um, the Albert Pion film, uh, one of the stunt men died in that film when he was doing a, like a jump off of a cliff, um, he died or, um, you know, John Saxon talks about, I think it was, um, steel hands or I can't remember what the movie was called hands of steel, something like that. My, my oh yeah. My, yeah. My, I'm that, the for, helicopter crashed right? or something, right? Yeah. He said that he was supposed to be in that helicopter and he wasn't. And he said that was the last time he ever did a non-SAG movie was, was, was that film. Um, because that's the other part of it, too, right? A lot of this, you know, a SAG movie is going to have um, all of the protections in place to make sure everything's OK. Uh, but, you know, these movies, you're, you're, yeah, you're just going for it. Right. And who knows, right? Like, <laughs> who knows what could happen? And, you know, who knows how far they are away from the nearest hospital when they're at that farm? They're out in the middle of nowhere. Like, yeah. I don't know, man. It seems it's it all it all seems very uh, very sketchy, and all of his films feel that way. Like it's just like ah, someone probably or possibly got hurt there. Um, and then you know, just like an overzealous actor who's really getting into it, and you know, mistakes are made, and it's like, hey guys, uh, we have like an hour to shoot this, so we gotta wrap. We gotta like. We don't really have time for rehearsal. Let's just do it. Like, yeah. oh, okay. Right. Well, what Zadar, could go wrong? I mean, Zadar, I mean, his love scene, I mean, he's like attacking the woman when he's like, yeah. Um, and I think, too, like with his fights and things like that, like he he he, he just gets so into it. And he's a big guy. Um, yeah. I, I think that's a scary thing is that, like, you know, if he if, if he misjudges the distance on one of his fake punches, um, that that's not going to feel very good. You know, you probably would have to go to the hospital, You'd probably get a concussion because, um, yeah, he yeah, he, he was not a small man. It doesn't take much. It it like it doesn't take much uh, with with a mistake, uh, or you know he could like break his hand on somebody's head or something. Right. You know, it, it it doesn't take much for for injuries to occur when people are throwing fists and kicking at each other and stuff. And then uh, again, also it's like you know all the all the shooting. Yes. Uh, as well, like, uh, are you sure that's a blank? Are you right. sure that was done right? Right. Yeah, and that's what I was. I know, like, um, uh, you know, I think that's that's kind of a, a move that's happening in the industry where people are, especially after what happened with Alec Baldwin there, that it's like, okay, let's just do this CGI and not have to worry about it. And you know, for me, I mean, I've always been a proponent, at least with animals, like, you know, you've got you know lions or tigers or you know bears whatever you know um but you know big animals like that i've always been a proponent of just do a cgi version of it and you know leave leave the, the tiger alone or whatever but i'm beginning to kind of feel the same way you know like at the very least i don't get on a movie if i see a low budget movie and they're doing just you know the the cgi uh gunshots uh, i don't get on them as much i think because of that reason that i'm like okay if they didn't feel like they could if they, they're cheaping out on it I'd rather see them cheap out on it that way than cheap out on it by like not having the proper safety involved. Right. For sure. Uh, speaking of insane movies with full size animals doing crazy stuff. Have you seen wild beasts? No, I don't think so. Uh, <laughs> oh my that. gosh. Uh, I think synapse put that out again. It's probably on Tubi. Yeah. Uh, it's an Italian movie about a, a zoo where the animals are, are accidentally given PCP. <laughs> okay. And they escape from the zoo. 
And then uh, it's up to, uh, I don't know, I can't remember if he's a cop or what, but like they're basically trying to round up all these all these uh, berserker uh, animals and they're real. Right. Uh, there's like there's there's like a real jaguar running around attacking people. Yeah. Uh, there's a scene where a cheetah is like running someone down like it's like actually chasing them like at full speed. It is insane and you're talking like okay you're talking the 80s yeah in italy and you're talking real live like animals like lions and bears and 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 like like they're actually attacking people do you in 1980s italy trust that that trainer actually knows what they're doing and is going to keep you safe Right. I never feel like I always like I don't care who it is. Like, I don't mean to denigrate like Italy in the 80s, right. um, but it just always seems like a lot less safe because there's like seemingly a lot less attention given to to safety. Yeah. But even in like in an American movie or wherever where there's like a bear that attacks somebody or something, I always think like that actor or stunt performer or whatever must be unbelievable. There's no way. There's no way I would never do that. I would be like, no, that's okay. I'll pass. I'll pass on having a grizzly bear quote, pretend to attack me. Like, no, that's all right. I'm going to pass. I don't, I don't want to be anywhere near your grizzly bear. I'm not shaking his hand. You keep it over there. Cause I would be the guy that would do like that one thing that pissed off the grizzly bear. And then I lost my head. Yeah. So I'm looking at the trivia. Um, so there's a sequence where there's a tiger in the subway, and I guess they shot from 1 to 3 a.m. Um, when the subway was closed. And apparently the tiger got loose and was like hiding um, and then went on top of one of the trains. And so they had to like keep the subway employees from entering the station until they were able to catch the um, the, uh, the, the animal. They said there were three animal handlers that were present on set with tranquilizer guns for the scenes involving the animals. Um, I mean, so how does that work, right? So a tiger has jumped on me, right? This big, massive tiger. And I'm on the ground, and it is, like, clawing at me. It's biting me. And the handler shoots it with the tranquilizer. Um, how much time does it take for all that <laughs> right. to happen? Like, how many scratches do I get? I mean, I, like, I of- how, how, how much of my body do, <laughs> ends up in the lion's stomach before he falls asleep? Yes, exactly. Like, uh, they don't act that fast. Not fast enough. Like, that... Can you imagine being one of those actors? Be like, no, 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 it's fine. We, we've got a trank gun, bro. So, you, you need a trank gun. Does that mean that these things aren't trained very well? That <laughs> you are anticipating that things are going to get out of hand and that this animal is going to attack me or run away. <laughs> so it's like, here that one of the actors, Antonio DeLeo, uh, the star of the film, he was almost decapitated by the polar bear where the, and the scene where the polar bear swings a paw at him because it, it nearly missed his head. Um, if you look at Antonio DeLeo's uh, IMDb, this is the last movie. Wild Beast is the last movie that he did. Um, so he was done doing movies after that. <laughs> that, that, was, that was enough to, to sour him on the, the industry. Yeah, can you imagine? Like, that? <laughs> it's an insane movie, dude. It yeah, is, you're, you know. like, I'm not saying it's, like, necessarily good. Right. But... It just from like a, this, these are real people that thought that this was a good idea and mm-hmm. somehow they pulled it off and they did actually make a movie, but like you have a cheetah running around Italy at night. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, apparently, I guess they, they wanted to do it in Rhodesia um, or South Africa, but they just were told you can't do it here. Um, I guess they, they didn't want the publicity or something. I don't know. Which, I mean, I guess that's – if you think about it, right, because you think of, like, the disaster movies. Um, you know, if you're South Africa, and I guess at that time, with apartheid, they were probably already – their tourist industry was, was already having issues. And then they're like, well, you know, with people to come in for safaris and stuff, and like, oh, we can't go to our zoo because, you know, people are afraid to go to the zoo because they're afraid – <laughs> the animals are going to be laced, you know, like uh, dosed with PCP and attacking people. Um, yeah, it's 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 insane. It's yeah. insane. And uh, there's that other one um, with the house full of lions. Ah, man, some somebody listening to this is going to be like, I know exactly what you're talking about. But there there's there's a film. I want to say Synapse put that one out as well. Yeah, that or it was Draft House. But it's a film about a house full of lions. And they're real lions, and um, uh, and then like a family that owns them. There's not even really that much of a plot to it because yeah. it was it was real. Like these people really did have like ten lions at their house, <laughs> and the stories behind it are insane. Well, in the movie, like the lions eventually go crazy, and the family has to like figure out how they're going to get out of this house full of lions. And there's these shots where there's like 15 lions in a room. Yeah. And you're like, that's terrifying. <laughs> like, you don't have to pretend like this is a movie. I Like it's just terrifying. And that people actually did get severely injured in the movie. I think one of the cameramen got scalped wow. like a lion, just like, just like bit his, his scalp off oh, just like yeah. just like walked up and bit him on the head and like yeah. ripped his scalp off of his head yeah yeah animals that's the thing is like animals like that like they just i mean i mean obviously the fact that you know you know siegfried and roy i mean they they were acting with tigers for years and it was just and a matter injured. of time yeah yep. it's you know these animals are not meant for this kind of thing and i mean i think the same thing with chimpanzees you know with, with chimpanzees and movies because i mean you know as primates they're so closely related to humans it's like you know like just just leave them there in 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 Africa doing their thing in, in in you know various jungles and most of the countries there I mean yes they they deal with poaching but a lot of the countries have like preserves and um you know they've they've got national parks set up so that they can just sort of live and it's like yeah I get it you know you want to do your your movie with um you know Matt LeBlanc um you know whatever that was Ed or whatever the movie was with the the, the chimpanzee that plays baseball I think it was um yeah it's a funny movie it's a funny idea but it's like all right, we've got the technology. If, if George Lucas can make a movie full of soldiers that are all CGI, we can probably do it with the animals if we have to. Yeah, no, I just seeing seeing like old older like eighties um, movies that use actual like beasts is just <laughs> man. Although you don't have the same, at least I don't have the same sense of like terror watching something like Beastmaster. Yeah, like like that that f somehow feels safe, even though that was not a mega budget movie, right? But it yeah. it like it doesn't feel like, oh man, some something someone's gonna get hurt. Like <laughs> wa like watching Wild Beasts, it's just like, oh, there's no way people didn't get hurt making this. Like there's just no way, and if they did, like it was just dumb luck. Like it was just right. So, like it would like there was no. Oh my gosh! Like, just I, I have it burned into my head the scene of a cheetah chasing someone down, and it's just, how do you tell that cheetah 
like I want you to chase this person, but don't like eat him. Like, I get it. Like, I have cats and they get silly and you can do silly stuff with them and stuff. But like, my cats don't weigh as much as I do. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and like, it really doesn't take much, uh, even if even if they think that they're playing like it's just, oh, my God. Yes. And that polar bear scene is insane, too. It's just like, how did you get a polar bear? Who has a polar bear? Like you're in Italy, like who has a polar bear? You're like, I got a polar bear. You want you want to rent my polar bear? Like who right. like you they don't use polar bears in movies. Right, right, right. Yeah. It's and and again, like I mean, you you know, you you're talking about the dumb luck. I mean, that was dumb luck that the, the, the animal just happened to miss his head when he swung at him. They don't um, even have bears in Europe. Like right. you know what I mean? Like like we at least have bears here. There's like some degree of familiarity. Like you might right. see a bear at some point. Yeah. Somewhere, but there are no bears. Yeah. In in Europe, like, how do you have a bear in Italy? <laughs> right. Where do you keep it? <laughs> right. Exactly. Like yeah. at least at least out here, usually when someone has like a giant, like I I have a bear that I have trained, but you know I live in Texas and I have twenty acres and I have all this land. Like, I don't feel like there's there's that much room to have a polar bear in Italy. Yeah. No. No. And I mean, from a temperature standpoint, I think I remember hearing about this, that, um, uh, so the, I, sometimes I'll listen to a radio show out of Miami and they have, um, Ron McGill who runs zoo Miami on, and he talked about like polar bears, like they don't do well in captivity. Like they don't, um, at least from what he was saying, like they, they were talking about like maybe, you know, cause you, sometimes, you know, you talk about how like their, their habitats, you know, going away and is it possible to maybe like rescue a polar bear and, and, you know, uh, get them to safety or, you know, have them have a kind of a safer life in a zoo environment. And it's like, it's not that easy. You can't just, you know, and so, yeah, I don't even know like how they get a polar bear. Like, you know, it's in a zoo, maybe I guess in, in, in Italy or something. Um, it's probably not in a good mood. It's probably not in any kind of good mental state when you get into the movie area. Um, it's, it's, it's gonna, you know, that's the thing with animals, right? Is that when they're, you know, um, they they when they were in that kind of environment they'll, they'll they can snap for no reason you just don't know know what would would, would cause it so well yeah. and a bear doesn't know that you're acting right that too yes you can't be like all right bear for this Cut. scene this guy's gonna come at you and you're gonna like try to kill him but don't kill him okay bear you got that don't kill the guy and he's just acting he's not actually mad at you you're he's not there's no threat. Like he's not going to do anything to you, bear. Everything's fine. Like you can't explain that to a bear. No, 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 exactly. No. So yeah, I think, you know, it, it obviously like, like, like fortunately Shervon didn't do any, any animals like that. I don't think he did. Right. I don't think he had, he no. had dogs maybe, but he didn't. Um, oh yeah. There was, there was the dog in, uh, in Hollywood cop, which like I yeah. said, the, the boys like, you're a good, you're, you're a good dog. I can tell. Yeah. We're going to be buddies. And then the dog's just like, burr. Yeah, right. he, he turns on his master just because this little boy talked to him. It's yeah. really, really funny. <laughs> right, exactly. But, but yeah, you, you, I think things like that, like, I mean, I get, I don't know what it costs to like have a CGI rendered animal in a movie and then have a, a character acting against it. Let me but... tell you, it costs a lot less than getting sued by the family that your animal killed. Right, exactly. That's a good point. It's a lot and, less than that. You see, there's a lot less time in jail, too. Right, right. And, and it's a lot cheaper, I guess, too, to just sort of remove that page of the script and say, you know what? 
nobody's getting attacked by a bear in this movie. Let's just do something else. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> right. Seriously. You know what? The bear's not feeling like it today. That's fine. That is that is fine. We still have a movie. We're okay. We're yeah. we're good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's always that part of it too. Um So so Amir Shervan made these movies from like I think it was eighty six to ninety one. He cranked yeah. out five movies, so he just cranked them out like really, really fast. Stopped in ninety one. Yeah. It makes me wonder like why? And did he have any other scripts? that that he just was never able to complete like it like i have like visions of like the long lost shervan script being found yeah and and then and then and then cinema epoch going you know what we found this script uh his family found a script in like an old shoebox or something and uh i guess it'd have to be pretty big shoes but um <laughs> uh you know we're gonna we're gonna make it we're gonna make the movie we're gonna do the thing Let's make it. Yeah, because, I mean, he lives for another, uh, you know, 15 years after Samurai Cop. Um, and so, you know, and he, for, for a director in particular, he's not that old, right? He's born in 29, so he, was, he would have been um, in his 60s at that point. And you do wonder, uh, you know, because I think, you know, talking about the idea that, like, he, he ran out of funding. And I do wonder if it was one of those things where it was, like, each film – did worse than or you know each one that didn't deliver it sort of maybe shrank his his ability to get funding to make movies and yeah you 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 gotta think that he had more scripts that he if he's making a movie one one movie a year like you said like wouldn't you think he'd have the 19 i mean i mean i guess you know you know woody allen uh, you know you know, maybe isn't the best example, but as somebody who, you know, was trying to make a movie every year um, until, you know, finally that, that, that stopped, but he had the scripts, you know, he was, he was writing them and somebody as prolific as, as, as Shervan, because if you look to it as his Iranian career, it's kind of the same thing where he just kind of bangs out a bunch of movies in a short span. Um, right. Yeah. So uh, not only that, but it's like, okay. So he has all those other films that he made, which means he could hypothetically just remake them. Yeah. Right? Like, okay, sure. Like, culturally, they may not be, like, relevant. They may not translate. But he did a bunch of them there. Yeah. Don't tell me he, he, he didn't have, like, three that he could have been like, yeah, all right, we'll just, we'll just repurpose the script and we can just redo it here. Like, ah, it just makes me wonder if there's, if there's other stuff out there or other films or like, what, you know, what did he do for those remaining years? Um, and it, and it really is a shame that he never, that he didn't live long enough to know that his films did find an audience. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, one thing that's interesting, kind of just looking at, um, you know, looking at uh, um, his IMDb bio here, um, they talked about, I guess, like his, you know, he used a lot of improvisational acting and dialogue, which I think kind of goes to the point about what you were talking about with this film with uh, Young Rebels, where it's almost like there's no story, right? It's almost like. No, it's just a whole bunch of shooting. Yeah. And that's about it. Yeah, and I I think because it, it's essentially there's this idea that the the reason the main character um, uh, Joe Green you know or the character's name is, is Charlie he gets called in to like because his his brother has a gambling debt to like I guess go get s smuggle a couple of drug smugglers from Mexico back into the U S and then he doesn't want to take them when he discovers that they're smuggling drugs which is I guess you know why would you what else would you think they were smuggling but I guess he was trying to smuggle them back and and he flies the helicopter back to the U S. There's a shootout, and that's 
essentially it. It's just a series of shootouts, and it's either Vincenzo's men are attacking Green and his and his his buddies, or Green and his buddies are attacking Vincenzo's men. And it that's essentially the you know a, a, a good I guess like you know hour of the film, the last hour of the film is 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 that, and it, it, it in that sense it kind of works as kind of a fun thing. Oh, for sure. I mean, one thing that that always hurts these these types of films, these lower budget films, is that they usually pad out the runtime with endless dialogue that's really boring and super uninteresting. And there's usually some sort of like love affair subplot that nobody cares about, (laughs) you know, like every single sci-fi movie on the sci-fi channel ever is just like some melodrama and it's only there so that they don't have to show the monster. In this case, the movie is padded out with non-stop action. Yeah. Albeit, you know, sloppy action. Yes, <laughs> right. yes. Action and sex. Yeah. Zadar and, and nudity. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, like the, the main character, um, Charlie, he has a live-in girlfriend, Liz. But then there's another girl. I guess it's like his brother's um, fian- dead fiance's sister that he's also hooking up with. Um, and, 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 and I almost thought, I, I, I thought maybe like they just had two actresses playing the same character. Cause that happens too sometimes, right. In movies where it's like, you know, uh, you know, think of the room, you know, as, as a great example, right. Where, you know, uh, they, they just get a new actor to play the same part, um, right through the film. And I thought maybe that's what happened. But when I looked at the credits, I found out, no, she was a separate character and he was just sleeping with both of them. And it, was, and it wasn't even like he was cheating on anybody. He was just, you know, I'm having a sex scene here. I'm having a sex scene there. And, and, you know, that, 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 that it, it's almost like yeah the sex scenes were padding out the action right it was like you know we get very much- very very strange and like the relationships between the characters as well it's just like they, there's characters that just show up and you're like well who's yeah. this and how what's their what's their relation and right. um yeah it's just ridiculous uh i don't know like yeah. it, it's an odd duck of a film in that it's like they just kept shooting action scenes and more action scenes and more action scenes. Yeah. But there's no connective tissue, no story really. Um, so, I mean, you know, in that, in that regard, there's no fat in this movie. Right. Yeah. It's all killer, no filler. There's just nothing. It's just, it's a, it's a hundred percent what anybody renting a movie at that time was looking for. They were looking for nudity and they were looking for guys that were buff, which you definitely get. The main the main actor is jacked as hell. Right. Um, and uh, lots of tough talking. And uh, the only thing it doesn't have is, like, cool cars. Yes. All the cars are super dumpy in the movie. <laughs> Even the limo. Even the limo in the movie was that. Yeah. yeah. Like, like, they're all, like, none of them are. Like, the most impressive car in the entire movie is probably the Pontiac Fiero that's in it for, like, a minute. Yeah. like that that's that's the hottest car in the whole in the whole thing um all these guys you know they they've they've got the hard bodies but they don't have the cars to match like they you know it, it's just so straight and that strip club man yeah what a yeah. sleazy gross looking place and oh, just yeah. and and also the stripping in that scene too is just like yikes like yeah not attractive. No. And, and I think that's another thing I think from Amir's standpoint is him trying to understand American culture and American films. He, that, that strip club scene. And then also the strip tease scene 
for uh, you know Zadar's girlfriend giving him the striptease. Both of those scenes go on way longer than they needed to. And, yes. Um, but I think that's because he didn't understand culturally like how long those should have been going on for. That uh, you know when when do you stop that? You know, and maybe he you went know, to a strip club and yeah. You well yeah for sure like and then yeah. he must have known somebody because that was a real that was a real strip club like there's right. no those are real strippers. And then the actress uh, giving Zadar striptease uh, maybe should have told her to cool it, cool out with the uh, with the pearls. It's like exactly. it's yeah. like uh, I don't know about like the whole like pearl thing you got going on there. Like yeah. that's just something not just not really attractive. Right. Leave the pearls alone. Just put them down. Just, right, which just makes you think Zadar wasn't in the scene for for that as much because his reactions to that were not necessarily what you would be making if you were witnessing <laughs> witnessing that. Yeah, I I think I read on the Internet Movie Database, which for whatever that's worth, yeah. that that the scene involving the him with the actress that he actually is is like having the sex scene with, um, that she really didn't want to. Mm-hmm. Um, and like was like intimidated by Zadar um, and was just like put off by the whole thing and like like required like like she had to like drink before oh, she no. did the scene because um, she just was like super uncomfortable but did it anyway like ugh. so yeah. I mean it, it's it's one of those things where it's like yeah he just yeah Zadar is just like and and there is a sense that like Zadar's I mean I get Zadar's like playing a character but yeah it was um you could kind of see that she was not into it um yeah like but yeah. he's intense right like yeah, when he's oh, a yeah. character he's in character and he's intense and like you know he uh, I don't know he he's quite a bit bigger than her um uh, by all accounts though like I said uh I've never heard a bad word about him like yeah. ever like I've read it I read a lot of um a lot of interviews with people talking about Zadar because uh, I be- went through a period of being like super interested in him. Uh, and everybody said that he was just a really sweet guy and was like enthusiastic and like a consummate professional. Um, so, you know, I, I think it, I-, I don't, but maybe it was just like the intensity of, of the scene as well. And just uh, who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Um <laughs> Just a just an odd assortment of colorful characters <laughs> in wild outfits and lots of people saying sons of bitches. Yes. Uh, that's a that's a favorite uh, of his. He loves he loves ha- having characters say you sons of bitches um, <laughs> like that's like the worst thing that you could say or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, I I watching it again I, I i need to watch killing american style again but i remember yeah. i remember watching killing american style and being really put off by the sexual assaults yes. you know like like it's not fun no like, it, like it's not samurai cop and young rebels fun because it's about a home invasion and yeah. and it's like it's just like an extra level of ick and it's yeah. just not it's not the same it's it's yeah. really it's i don't know the yeah. the sexual assault aspect of it really lowers the the fun factor considerably. But I think I've only seen Killing American Style once, so I, I feel like I need to see it again. But watching Young Young Rebels again, I it just reconfirms the fact that it is a really fun movie. It's it delivers exactly what you want it to. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, no, no. Because I, I saw Killing American Style more recently, and I can say that for sure, like, it, it's the the kind of thing that one makes it so you can't use it as a bad movie night movie with mixed company. You know what I mean? Like, if if the people that are watching that movie with you are are not, you know, that you're not sure kind of how they're gonna feel. Um, yeah, it the that the the sexual assault makes it difficult. Um, yeah, there's the. The fact and understandably so. I mean, and exactly. again, but yeah. the movie was supposed to be intense. It wasn't supposed right. to be a so bad it's good movie. It was right. supposed exactly. to be taken seriously. And in that context, like, you know, yes, that makes them more villainous. But for our purposes, right. it's not it's just not as fun. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, one last thing, one quick thing I want to say kind of uh, about uh, kind of a side note about this movie. Um, the character, uh, so the actor's name was William T. Amos, who played the character of Terry, um, one of the one of the goons. Um, he was kind of, I think he was the goon who kind of like had the goatee and kind of the, the duster, um, kind of the smaller eyes. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He did a movie in 2022 called Trailblazers um, that was directed and written by Antonio Sabato Jr., um, has David Chokichi in it, also Michael Dudikoff, Costas Mandalore, even Ron Moss from uh, Hard Ticket to Hawaii. Um, the thing is, the movie, it doesn't look like it's come out. And I was looking at the IMDb trivia, and somebody put in the trivia that um, Sabato Jr. and his production company uh, were not paying the crew. And as of June of 2022, so as of last month, they still have not paid the crew. So um, oh. it, interesting side note that, like, this could have been an interesting movie, but yes, the Bato Jr. I mean, if that's if that trivia is correct, and that would explain why the movie isn't coming out, possibly, you know. Well, and Antonio Sabato Jr., who also had his own direct-to-video brief career where he yes. was, like, in a handful of movies. Yeah. And it just goes to show that it might be 2022, but low-budget nonsense is still happening. Like, yeah. that's the kind of stuff that you would think of happening in, like, the 80s and 90s and kind of the, the Wild West world of direct-to-video stuff. Yeah, it's still happening. Mm-hmm. It's still happening, and yeah. you could still have a wild cast like that. That's uh, man, that that's nuts. Like, <laughs> way to way to like completely ruin any possibility of like convincing people to make movies with you again. Because that that goes, you know, the the one thing that I've learned from from watching all these movies for for intention intentionally going through all these ridiculous films is that they are they're like a chain they're all interconnected like this actor was in that movie this guy directed this movie like it's a very small world um it it, it, you could do like the six degrees of separation of any of these people and and it would be a huge web right like you know you've got harold diamond who was in gypsy well he was also in the andy sedaris movies well William Smith was in uh, Seven, and he was also in uh, all these other movies. And it's just like all these people are are very much so um, very connected to each other. It doesn't take much. Like they all they all work with each other. There's only so many actors that are willing to make just absolutely nothing to make these types of movies. There's only so many directors that make them. Um, it's a much smaller world than I ever thought it was. And it wasn't until I really started watching them uh, that I realized how very um, uh, it wouldn't be hard to get a bad name and completely get shut out. Yeah. Uh, because all these people do actually know each other because they work a lot, like especially all these actors. 
they they crank out a ton of films a year. So they work with a lot of people and it's a lot of the same people. And if you are a director that doesn't get the project done, if it never gets released, then no one's going to work with you. Uh, if you are a director that is uh, like abusive, that's going to get around really fast. And, uh, you know, so so it speaks well of when, when I see someone like Shervon who works with the same actors over and over and over again that speaks well of him and it also speaks well of the actors i think yeah yeah i mean so one of um i, I know um uh, fellow uh, blogger uh ryan kenner had a site called uh, movies in the attic i think it was him i should maybe maybe i shouldn't uh, 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 attest it to him because i don't remember but i think he was saying that, that like that was what happened to lauren Avid- avidon is that he got kind of a bad reputation um that he may have kind of been a little bit of a hardo when it came to the action scenes or something like that. But um, he doesn't, he didn't get as much as many roles as he might've wanted to um, as a result of that though, looking at his IMDb bio, he's got quite a bit of stuff. So maybe that wasn't the case, but, but you know, it makes sense. Um, I mean, it also explains, like you said, Siobhan having the same cast. I mean, Wynorski, Fred Olin Ray, a lot of these guys work with the same people over and over again. Right. Um, Andy so Sedaris, my God, yeah. like every single one of his movies have the same actors in them. So right. It it speaks well, in my opinion, uh, of, of the actors because the director won't work with them again if they're abusive or di- or like it's too difficult. Right. Um, you know what I mean? It's like if if Robert Zadar was impossible to work with, Shervon wouldn't work with him. He wouldn't have right. put him in in three of his movies, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. Like <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. So it's it, it's it, it, to me it's it's a it's a very good sign to see that it it makes me feel like i don't know in a weird way it makes me feel like okay with watching it because you know with frankly with the b2 movement we've learned that a lot of people are dirtbags yes yeah and exactly. i feel like on the really low budget really low end level uh i would like to think that there's no room for that that like if someone is like an abusive jerk that, you know, it's like, listen, there's three there's there's three different actors that are all willing to take this amount of money that I'm willing to pay. I don't have to take you. Yeah. Right. And you're not really going to help me sell the movie anyway. So I don't really care whether you're in it. And the same goes for for directors like actors won't work. Like, I don't think that all those actors and actresses would have worked for Andy Sedaris over and over and over again yeah. if he was a horrible human being. Right. And I think the story, I think that Donna Spear talked about um, in her case, because she was she had really uh, bad alcoholism that, uh, you know, she was, I think, in, in, in Hard Ticket to Hawaii, I think it was that she was like having trouble standing up and getting through his scenes. And Sedaris and his, his, his wife actually kind of, you know, took care of her, kind of, you know. Uh, got her rides back and forth to places, you know, kind of, you know, got her got her sober and kind of helped her through her sobriety in terms of making the film. So that's I think it's an, a great point there that like, you know, Donna Spear, you know, I think she was treated really well by Sidars. And of course, she ends up making a ton of movies with him. Um, right. That, you know, which are all really, really a lot of fun. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, that that's another reason why I like the Amir Shirvan movies is because you do see the same faces popping up over and over again. And it's, there's a fun, there's a fun factor with that. And it's the same thing with the, with all the, the, uh, the Sedaris movies as well. And there's, there's plenty of other, other directors out there who continually work with the same people over and over again. And there's something, 
uh, I don't know, um, familiar about that, that makes them more endearing to watch. Yeah, yeah that, that's that's a great point. And maybe it's a great place to leave this, I think, is that um, it, it this is a fun movie. This is a fun watch. I think, like you said, I think after Samurai Cop, I think it, if you if you haven't seen Samurai Cop before, you probably should see that one first from, from Siobhan. But I think this is a good second one. I think Young Rebels was a lot of fun. It, it's... It, you know, I, I think even like the scenes that could be more macabre, like when a guy's getting, um, you know, attacked with a chainsaw. All yeah. it really is is just like, you know, kind of what magenta paint that that's being splattered around and some yelling, um, which is, you know, that, that, that's all kind of fun in, in there, I think. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's it's a blast. And really what you're looking for, if you're going to if you're going to do a group watch is a movie that has a lot of action, yeah. a lot, of, a lot of action and goofy things that that you can pick up on and notice silly dialogue. This movie has all of them. It is not as good as Samurai Cop. Um, I will definitely say that, but it's much better than Killing American Style. It's better than Gypsy. And for my money, I like it better than Hollywood Cop, although Hollywood Cop definitely has its moments as well. Um, and it's, you know, if you want to go back to the well, it's a it's a great one to to, vi- to to visit with your friends. It's readily available on Tubi, which is great. It doesn't even cost you anything. You can just, like, fire it up. So it's it definitely... It, it hits that sweet spot of of tons of cheap action and just nonsense. It's it's great. It's it's a lot of fun. I I wholeheartedly recommend Young Rebels um, as a very um, respectable number two in his filmography. Yeah, for sure. I think it it's it's a lot of fun. I think people definitely enjoy it if they if they haven't really been dipping into to more of, of Shervon's, um, which I, I hadn't, like I said, I hadn't really until between, um, you know, awful, I'm uh, oh, sorry, uh, awful, awesome action one. And, you know, the guys that come up and talking about Shervon's films, I really hadn't gotten past that uh, samurai cop. And I think it's, it's, it's really worth, and that's, that was, that was the main reason why I wanted to have you on to talk Shervon, because I figure you know, seeing, uh, you know, the way you discuss him in, in that book. And, um, I just, you know, it, it, it felt like the perfect uh, felt like the perfect guest to come on and talk about him. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. I, I love talking Siobhan and I love talking to you. It's fun. Okay. It's fun talking about these movies. Uh, and I feel like uh, and that's really the purpose of my books. And it's the purpose of what you're doing as well is to shed a light on films that often get passed over or completely uh, are the audiences are completely unaware of that, that even exist. Right. It's it's we're both doing our part to try to connect films that that we've discovered that we think are are worthy of attention and discussion uh, and try to connect them with the audience, trying to trying to bring them along and 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 put a spotlight on them. So I I definitely appreciate what you do, um, because when it comes to action movies there really isn't like this big fan base like there is with horror there are no there are no action magazines there are no action conventions and it's really a shame because there's as much to dig into with direct-to-video action as there is with horror i mean they, they uh, to me i think i think it's a wonderful genre to dive into but it is one that that benefits from a guide such as yourself to help point out you know, it's easy to get your fingers burned, yes. just like it, just like it is with horror. It's really, really easy to to jump in and be enthusiastic, and then get burned three or four times and say, "Oh, I give up." Yeah, 
Yeah, and you make a great point, too, because when I started the blog, I was going to cover all aspects of direct-to-video, but it was the action ones that were getting the most traction, and I think it's exactly like you talked about, that there isn't that kind of ecosystem out there. Um, you know, a low-budget horror movie a lot of times will have 20 critic reviews, whereas, like, you know, a, a, a low-budget, you know, I, I, I think Young Rebels has eight critic reviews on Amazon, on, on IMDb. Um, so it's, it's you know, that that's kind of the difference that you're seeing there, is that I think people were looking for that kind of thing. And, and so like my, my site has kind of turned to action because um, that's where people are, are, that's where people are commenting. People are coming because there's so many places to go for horror um, and, and not as many for action. And I think a few others are kind of in a similar boat that it's just sort of like, yeah, you know, we just sort of ended up here in, this, in the, the action realm, but it is a lot of fun. And I think you're right. Like it does deserve a similar, I don't know, spotlight uh, that, that horror has. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's so much there. There's a lot. I mean, my gosh, action movies go back a long way and they are as far as awful awesome movies goes, they are the most they're like the blue chip. Right? Like they're the most bankable, the most they're 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 not a gamble usually because as long as it delivers the action, uh you you definitely get your money's worth whereas like horror movies can be dreadfully boring. Yeah. Um, action movies usually are not. I yep. mean, it's pretty dang easy to fill a book of hilariously over-the-top action movies. It's a lot harder to fill it with horror, let me tell you. It is actually harder um, because there's just so many fun action movies out there, right? Like, And they just keep coming. Like, they're still being made that are just so much fun. Um, one of my more recent discoveries that I just – um, it's like a new favorite of mine is Ballistica. Oh, yes. oh, oh my gosh. Hilarious. <laughs> so good. Yes. So good. Yeah. That was an asylum joint, wasn't it? Uh, possibly. All, all I know is that like, he literally says like, you can study the art of ballistic all your life and not even know what it is. And it's like, <laughs> Oh my gosh, I love this movie. It's got, uh, Andrew Divoff with yeah. like a horrible accent and just, Oh, so good. It's so, so good. Um, oh, and, and just this past weekend, I watched uh, um, King of Kickboxers 2, or also called yes. Fighting Spirit, yep. with Lauren Avedon, bringing yep. back Lauren Avedon. So much fun. Yeah. Yeah, it's there. There is so much out there, and I think you know, coming back to your your book, you know, Awful Action Volume One. I think what's so great about it is, I think for people that kind of like, okay, I've seen this and this. Where should I go next? Um, it's just a lot of fun to kind of go through your your book and uh, and, and see that. And I, I I think you know, I mean, your newest one, the horror one, I think does the same thing. And I think too, for people out there that are looking to buy, I mean, yeah, um, you know, I think people have these big collections of, you know, but physical media is coming back. And I think your books are a great kind of investment in, in a collection. You know, like if you're going to spend the, the money on a, on a Blu-ray or something, you know, spending it to get your book and adding that to your collection, I think is just, is, is an equally good investment. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. I mean, the whole point was just that I was having so much fun watching these movies with my friends and and I realized that although I might have a I do have some books that cover some of these films, there weren't any books that specifically covered films that were that were fun to watch with a group. Yeah. 
yeah. that were, um, you know, hilariously bad, whatever, however you want to put it. Yeah. Um, these, these films that were made by people outside of your normal filmmaker, like people who are just out there making wild movies that have a very distinct personality that may have been failures when, when they released, like they're, they're still worthy of discovery. They're worthy of watching. There is an audience and I'm trying very hard to connect that audience to those films because, um, unlike horror, there's boutique labels that put out a, a ton of horror and you can just like buy stuff from those boutique labels we're getting a little bit more of that with the action stuff. Like I can't believe that uh road revenge got a Blu-ray release and, and action USA. And so right. like yes. we are, we are getting there. It is happening. And I'd like to see more of it because um, uh, it, there's just, there's so much awesome stuff out there. That's just waiting, waiting to be discovered that a filmmaker put a ton of energy and heart and money and time. And they probably weren't able to find the audience that that they were hoping to find you know like they didn't make as much money off of their films as they were hoping to make and there is an audience out there and i'm just i'm really trying to connect the two because there's so much fun to be had so much fun to be had by watching these movies yeah no i think that's fantastic now for people listening um the newest book is awful awesome horror volume two um but actually i think if, if people either if they go search for your name jacob gustafson in, on amazon or you know look up awful awesome you know action horror or sci-fi um they'll find you know kind of a link and you'll get to all the books um there's currently four out right now so you've got a two two horror sci-fi and an action yes and and i will have a volume two of action and sci-fi I'm not exactly sure when I'm going to release those. Um, maybe another one, maybe in the spring. I don't know. I'm, I'm not quite. I'm not quite sure. Um, I, I'm not quite sure when I'm going to get them released. But they are written. They're ready to go. Um, I'm. They're just being edited by um, by uh, by Chris, my my editor right now. But I've already got the art, and I'm I'm currently writing um, volume three of each. Uh, which is like about a third of the way done. So that that the volume three will still be quite a ways away. Um, but I am I'm still going. I'm still going. I'm not done yet. I've 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 written. Oh, I don't know. Uh, well over 700 reviews of these types of movies. Um, and, you know, uh, by the time I'm done with all three, all three volumes of all three genres, I'll have over 900 and then I'm like toying with like in the idea of like at some point putting together like an omnibus of all of them and then like throwing in another hundred so that I have like a thousand reviews in one book. So yeah, I, I think I, that's I, fantastic. I'm, I'm definitely still passionate about it. I'm still watching this stuff. I'm still finding them. And uh, not that I need to tell your audience, but man, Tubi is a gold mine. It's a minefield. <laughs> it is yeah, a major minefield. Like, yeah. There is there is definitely gold in those hills. <laughs> yes. And I, I think what people can do then, I think on Amazon, they can follow your author page. Um, so then they'll get updates kind of knowing like, OK, when the new one comes out. Um, yeah, they'll, they'll have that there. But at the very least, I think, you know, people should get out there and, and buy your books because uh, they're they're a great resource. I've got to get your newest one. I got to get the, the horror one myself. because I've got the other three. Um, so 
that's going to be my my next book purchase for sure. Well, thank you. I appreciate it, and I I appreciate the push. It's um, it's just a uh, definitely a passion passion project for me. It's not something that I'm out there trying to like make a bunch of money. I I just want I just want the books to get out there in the world, uh, mostly not to promote myself. I'm not interested in that. I I just I just want people to watch these movies. I just I really really I'm I'm that. I'm that guy who's super enthusiastic and like gleefully enjoying these films. And I just want to grab you and say, oh, my gosh, have you seen this one? It is so wild. It's ridiculous. It's fun. You have to watch this movie um, because, uh, you know, there's there's only so much time in the world. We don't have much time. Uh, there's no time for mediocrity. There's there's that, you know, I'm trying to sift through. I'll, I'll sift through all the mediocre and the boring and whatever, and I will try to rescue the ones that are very much so worth your time. So yeah. um, it, it, it's just it's a uh, it's a wonderful thing to be able to get people together and watch these types of movies and have a blast, have a hoot. Um, movies are a unifying thing. They bring people from all walks of life together and you can all enjoy it. And all the differences that we may have, they all disappear when you're watching young rebels and watching Robert Zadar get a strip tease. That's perfect. I think that's a perfect place to leave it. I think that's fantastic. We're all uncomfortable when Zadar gets gets a strip tease, no matter who you are, no matter where you farm, no matter what your age is or how you vote. Everybody's uncomfortable by Robert Zadar getting a strip tease. But what's great is when you watch it in a group, everybody can be uncomfortable together, right? That's like right. Can, the bonding you're, you're sharing it. Yes, yes. exactly. Yeah. It's perfect. Excellent. Well, well, thank you again, Jacob, for coming on. Again, the book is Awful Awesome Horror Volume one, uh, Volume Two, but also Awful Awesome Action Volume One. I think is 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 the one um, kind of you know from an action standpoint uh, is, is is out there as well. Yes, yes, and keep your eyes peeled for for uh, Volume Two. I think the next one I'm planning on publishing is is Action. That that will be the next one. All right. Excellent. Well, well, thank you again for coming on and, and thank you everybody from listening. Thank you everybody for listening. Bye everyone. Thank you. first again 60 years millions of miles and the capability to take you anywhere this is the new nissan 